What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran, and I'm here with Andrew Velez, Joe Dells, and John Totorelli. And it's episode 274. In this episode, we're going to talk about Draymond Green's Game 3 suspension, Giannis's injury, debate if the NBA should ban charges, react to the anonymous players poll, react to Game 2s, and talk about Jalen Hurts' 200. $55 million contract. Right now, it's 10.54 p.m. Eastern Time. Give you this live podcast. We currently have 62 people in the live. Make sure you guys drop a like and subscribe to the podcast. Because currently, we have about 70% of the people in the last 90 days that have watched our pods are not subscribed. So make sure you guys subscribe. Let's get that number up from 30%. But how are you guys doing tonight? I will be completely feeling, I'll be completely and blatantly honest. I've been better. I have no doubt been better. We just came back Music's from the playback. Fun. Yeah, I don't mind it. I'm lit. <laughs> I'm vibing. Okay. Uh we just came back from the playback. I was hoping that we'd keep riding a good thing. Lakers had been very good on the playback and we just looked like absolute shit on both sides defensively weren't horrible honestly but really offensively we look terrible our worst scoring performance of the season we're going to talk about it a little bit more but of course that's how i'm feeling right now other than that pod's been doing well i've been doing well i can't complain overly you know glad to hear that man glad to hear that i heard uh you're not going to change that that jersey out uh, I'll tell you what, this one might never see the light of day ever again. This is my last time wearing this jersey. I absolutely I, I appreciate Alexandra for buying it. I know she probably won't be listening to this, but if she does by some off chance, thanks for your jersey, hun. You curse me because any fucking time I wear this jersey, we lose. So I need to God stick bless. to the purple or the yellow one. But this one, I mean, I've been recycling Lakers jerseys. I'm sure the fans are going to see her like, yo, does Drew wash anything? I wash this before I wear it. And no I know way. for a fact that this jersey will get cleaned and never worn again because I am done with this one. So now if you guys are listening right now, Drew has a new microphone. I'm not sure if you guys could tell if you guys are in the chat. You know, let us know if you guys can hear the difference between Drew's old mic and the mic he's using right now because I think it sounds so much better. So I'll much tell better. You what. I had to level up because I was sick and tired of you guys laughing at me. I got told that I, I had an Xbox Connect microphone. It just wasn't nice being that that kind of guy, you know? So I figured, hey, I make a little bit of money. Why not invest it in myself? And I had to turn up and level up. And I'm the only chump now with a non-mic. I just yeah, you sound AirPods. broke as hell. Uh, Come bad look. <laughs> Airpod, AirPods in. What's wrong with you, dude? AirPods is Amateur nuts. Hour. I can't say that I haven't talked through my my AirPods too, so it is what it is. How are you doing, John? I'm watching my Nuggets clap the Grizzlies. I just watched Xavier Tillman the Grizzlies lock up Anthony Davis. Whatever team it is, doesn't right. matter, Russ. I'm feeling pretty good, Joel. <laughs> I mean, I just can't complain right now. You know, I'm feeling good too, man. I'm feeling good. We're definitely gonna react to Game Twos for sure, but I'm feeling good because. Tonight, I have Anthony Edwards over 23 and a half points at the Nuggets. Now, I saw this line. I know Edwards has had a couple bad games, but but 23 and a half is just 
too low of a line for Edwards. I mean, I'm used to his line being at 28 and a half, 29 Facts. and a half. And right now he has 11 points. It's not even halftime. So it's looking like a lock. And that's where you getting these picks from. Pick. I'm getting it from oh, Boom, Boom Fantasy. Fantasy. We already know Boom Fantasy sponsors us. And uh, who else? Guys, who else are we with? Who and if you guys support and rep on this podcast, and if you guys want to support the pod, then please download Boom Fantasy because we're on a expiring contract right now. We need to we need to show Boom Fantasy that the Pickasaw community is worth keeping. So use code PAS for a risk free entry up to one hundred dollars. And yeah, sign up for Boom Fantasy. My lock was Anthony Edwards. And Drew's lock was LeBron James over eight and a half rebounds. Yeah, I'm glad we're calling yeah, it a, a lock because it's already done. LeBron had like six in the first quarter. It was a it was a very easy breezy gamble today. So hopefully Anthony Edwards locks because right now we're riding a high in the playoffs. I'm two and zero. I'm two and zero. So I'm feeling good about my picks, and it's helping me ease the the pain of the Lakers looking so damn terrible. Right now, <laughs> I see Serge saying he made a comment saying that y'all are getting franchise tagged. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's really what we're it getting, is. We're no, getting just we're getting franchise tagged monthly. So we're we're not on the long term extension yet. We're getting franchise tagged monthly. It's playoff it's, time. But unlike Dilo, we're actually gonna perform well. I mean John, let me ask you a question, bro. Do you ever be quiet? <laughs> no. God, He's been quiet for the last couple of minutes, man. Honestly, I miss John does times. the most is stay quiet. We we ask him a question, John sits there. Yeah, I love that time. That's all we get. John's become an enemy of mine. John, you happy about that? Are you happy about that? They become an enemy of Andrew Velez. I dig your dog in the background, but yeah, hundred percent. Appreciate that. (laughs) I respect their brand, Drew, but you know there is a there is a war going on. There is, there is, and there shouldn't be, and there shouldn't be. But you know what? You asked us, John. If the Grizzlies win without John Morant, well said, John. That might be the smartest thing you've ever said. (laughs) It's over for you. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. watch it. We'll see. Because X Man's coming. Yeah, watch yourself. All right. X Man. You saw that. It's like like John and I were trying to get you guys to respect the X Man, Xavier Tillman. Let me also say this. this. I never said that Xavier Tillman was shitty. I never said that. I never said he wasn't a good player. All I said was that he he will not lock up AD. He had a great night tonight. I didn't hear you what you said. You gave a really too. ugly face. You didn't we say never any said words, he, but your face never said he, told the words. We, we no, never I said never said he was bad. Up, yeah, all right, you're right. You're right. You said that he could guard AD. Yes. And you rolled your eyes. Which I, I mean, I guess I, I could guard AD. Would I do a good job? Not per se. Anthony Davis beat himself tonight. All right? Watching a game, Anthony false. Davis was bad. It was all him. his fault. It's on him. He will be better. He was, great. was fine. He had five blocks. He was, was solid. great. Yeah. Offensively, Offensively I mean, he was We've been talking about this for a month now, probably. That was bro, a he team wasn't effort even... by Memphis, Drew. Let me, let me relax because we're going to start. John we're going to make this a Lakers topic before we get into anything else. So let me relax. <laughs> now, make sure you guys download Boom Fantasy. Link is in our description down below. and Use code PAS. Now, I, I was going to start this show off with the Draymond Green suspension. But I think it's better just to start off with game two reactions I because the game two, what happened in game two leads directly to the Draymond suspension for game three. So everything right. is linear. Game two reactions, instead of talking about each game one by one by one, I'm sure that all of us have one game that really sticks in our minds that we want to talk about in depth. And let's get into it. So, Drew, do it. give your biggest takeaway on a game two that you saw. 
So I have two. I'm sorry. I know you said one, but I'm going to have two. They'll be quick. Number one is going to be Darius Garland is who I said he needed to be, and it led to the Cavaliers having a dominant Game 2 win. But Darius Garland is the key if the Cavaliers want to win this series against the New York Knicks. You need to ensure that both Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland have it going, and if the two of them have it going, the Cavaliers will win this series very comfortably. Now, number two, my biggest takeaway. Who's going to help LeBron James? Who's going to help LeBron James? Tonight was LeBron James and Rui Hachimura. The fact that Rui Hachimura has now become a reliable piece for us is huge. But the whole point is that Anthony Davis needs to be our best player if we want to win and win comfortably. Tonight was a game that was most definitely attainable and and, and one that we could we could take, especially a, a, against a team that is extremely dominant at home. With John Morant not playing, this should have been a game that the Lakers were hungry to win. Instead, we kind of cruised. We played very lackadaisical, very low energy, and we allowed the Grizzlies, who obviously are a great home team, to put, to feed off the fans' energy. They played hard. They played tougher than us for all four quarters. We had a solid third quarter. That was it. Every other quarter, the Grizzlies dominated, and it really stems from the fact that Anthony Davis struggled, did not seem to be the aggressive AD that I would have liked him to be. The fact that he had 14 attempts, a majority of them, to be fair, were in the paint. He made one three, I believe, but other than that, he really needs to be more aggressive, assert himself. He simply did not. Solid defensive performance as usual, but D'Angelo Russell... What is going on, King? You had a solid game one. I still believe that you can be great, but this was a tough, this was a tough, tough performance for you, especially for the fact that we just needed one of these guys to step up. I don't think the Grizzlies played great tonight. They played hard. I'll give them that acknowledgement. They didn't play great. They shot 1% better than us from the field. They we essentially rebound the exact same. The defense was pretty much the exact same. It's just the, the simple fact that they made more buckets than we did. Their role players made more buckets than we did. Roddy made more threes. You saw Luke Kennard get involved a little bit as well, get letting the shot go. Reeves was okay, wasn't bad, wasn't great. But really what it stems to is D'Lo was not good. Anthony Davis was not good. They need to be better for game three. Now, to piggyback on what you said about the Cavs and Knicks, the Cavs outplayed them. Everybody on the Knicks didn't play well. Literally everybody had a bad game. And I feel like I don't want to be the one to complain about referees, but I feel like whenever a team, after losing a playoff game, when they go out to the media and complain about officiating the very next game, it seems like every call is favoring them and they're they're calling things in their favor. I thought the Cavaliers got a, got away with a little too much physicality in game two. I did. But then again, we did shoot poorly. You know, I understand it's our fault. I think the biggest adjustment Cleveland made was that they went small and they had the lineup of Danny Green out there, Shetty Osman, Garland, um, Donovan Mitchell, and Jared Allen at the five. They weren't playing these synced-in lineups that were more spaced out, and I think it made a huge difference. And Garland offensively and def- offensively he was amazing. Defensively, amazing. he was also a pest, and he made it tough on all of the Knicks guards. I think going back to the Garden, the fact that we took one in Cleveland is amazing. 100%. So I we're agree. going back to the Garden. Quentin Grimes, IQ, our role player should play better. And if I'm Tom Thibodeau, the adjustment I'm making is I'm benching R.J. Barrett. I'm starting Emmanuel quickly and. I'm giving more minutes to Hartenstein over Mitchell Robinson just because he can do and create more offensively. And that's going to help when the Cavs are doubling Brunson off these screens and you're ultimately 
with you're ultimately passing it to the center who's going to be in the middle of the floor right. and they have to make a decision with the ball. You know, I'd rather that be Hartenstein than that be Mitchell Robinson and maybe sprinkle in some random five ball lineups. But the Cavs just outplayed the Knicks. I'm looking at the Kings and Warriors game. Kings beating the Warriors 114 to 106. I know a big deal is going to be made about this Draymond suspension, but I like what Charles Barkley had to say on Inside the NBA. The Kings are just playing better than the Warriors straight up. Like, I understand that the suspension is a big deal, but game two, Davion Mitchell's defense, the adjustment on defense, the big one is that Sabonis was stepping up on all these screens, and the Warriors ran so much more pick and roll in game two versus game one. In game one, Steph Curry ran 22 pick and rolls, and game two, he ran 30. And because of that, you know, they were running they were running like that so much because the Kings have been very physical defensively and they've been really fighting the Warriors off these off-ball screens they love to use and they they've really been they've really been defending the these movement screens from the Warriors really well. So I think really when it comes to the Kings and Warriors, the Kings have just been so much better defensively and I trusted Mike Brown to come up with a defensive game plan and he did. The Warriors we're the highest turnover team in basketball this season. And that's a trend that's showing up in the playoffs. They had 20 turnovers. The Kings took advantage of that. And offensively, they didn't even play good. I mean, they shot 24% from three. There is so much left to bite on the apple for the Kings offensively. And that's what makes this series, to me, virtually over. When you don't have Draymond Green for game three, and he's been their best defender, Kayvon Looney has been getting hunted in both games, in game one and game two. Mike Brown has been hunting Kayvon Looney because Kayvon Looney, his agility has been has noticeably declined in, in this season. So Mike Brown has been hunting that, and they've been getting a lot of good looks in the pick and roll when they've attacked them. And now you're telling me that he's going to be the primary big man for the Warriors in game three with no Draymond. I, I have a tough time believing that the Warriors will win this game, especially if the Kings are shooting well finally from the field. Uh, I think that although the Draymond suspension is a big deal, the Kings have been playing better. And I think their effort that, that they've been getting from their role players top to bottom has been better. And they deserve to win this series, and they are the better team right now. It's tough because – the Warriors were throwing the ball all over the gym. 20 turnovers total. They had like five in the first couple of minutes. And bad. they're also tanking layups. But to me, it's really just come down to the non-Steph Curry minutes of the Warriors. When he's off the floor, the Kings can go with Alex Len off the bench. And they've gotten really good play at that second unit where Jordan Poole is not 100%. And that's the only other player capable on this team. And we had one person in the chat earlier asking, you know, is Jordan Poole better without Draymond Green on the floor? And there's no way. I mean, Draymond is the Warriors' second best player to me because of what he does as a playmaker. And that's saying a lot with how good Wiggins has been after missing so much time. And you know what, Joel? You said the series is just about over. And I kind of agree with you because Draymond Green getting suspended is something we've seen before time and time again. And with him not being out there, Kevon Looney's their only big. And he's somebody that just can't go in the pick and roll. They're going to attack him. They're getting on the offensive glass. And given Jordan Poole is playing so poorly, Dante DiVincenzo's game played off the floor because no one can really guard here at the point of attack. I think we all misevaluated the Kings. And it actually isn't because of their offense. Part of it's because of their defense. Demonte Sabonis, to me, 
is the worst rim protecting center in the NBA, but he's also a very solid to above average switch defender. And the Kings defensively are playing high up. They're playing with aggression, but Steph Curry, especially early on in the first half, was not driving downhill. And when they were getting downhill, they kept turning over the ball. And the Kings are playing aggressive. And we saw in the second half, Steph was driving more. and They had more success. But when they're trying to play the Kings game of slowing it down, and they're not actually flowing offensively, the Kings are guarding their actions off the ball well, it's tough for them to actually create advantages and open looks for their shooters. And Clay Thompson, he's been on fire. But after that, no one's shooting well in this Warriors game. And... That is the biggest problem I think we've seen alongside those non-staff minutes. So on Curry pick and rolls, they're averaging 1.12 points per possession. But I think the issue with running Curry on so much pick and rolls is the fact that when you start trapping these, you're giving the ball to Kayvon Looney in the middle of the floor, and you're expecting him to make a a play in the short roll. And that's something that the Kings are going to welcome throughout the series. Yeah, that, that shit was getting blown up fast. I mean, he was trying to lobster dream. I'm like, come on, what, what are you thinking about? <laughs> it's not the best look. Um, until I see the Warriors lose on their home court, I'm not ready to say the series is over. The Draymond suspension is huge. We're going to have a whole topic on it, probably next topic. Um, but I think more importantly, it's really going to be what's Steve Kerr's reaction to Draymond going down? How is he going to adjust? Because we saw in game one, he did a very bold situation and put Steph and Draymond on the bench, and we saw their lead disappear. Last night or two nights ago, whenever it was, um, we see Draymond go down. Start, uh, Moses Moody starts getting some minutes. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Steve Kerr is able to, in lack of better terms, can't make up for Draymond, but how he's going to put the pieces together, whether that's Moody, Kaminga. Um, you know, obviously both of those guys are probably going to have to play. Um, I want to hit on a few games here just quickly, just the ones we haven't covered. First one, shout out to my brother, Derek White. He is playing his ass off right now, averaging 25 on 60, 50, 90 from the field. Just just out of this world. Good. It's the Hawks. I get it now. 25. But yeah. Yeah, yeah 25 he was great, great all season long. Probably going to be all defensive team. And that's carried over to the playoffs. Complete 180 from what his playoff performance was last season. Um, the Brooklyn and uh, and Philly series, not much to take away from. But I think if you want to look for some sort of, you know, because we know Philly is going to move on, right? If Philly wants any chance to beat Boston, James Harden has to average 20 to 25, maybe more. And what I've seen from James Harden is a phenomenal first half in game one, and that's really it. He had eight points in game two. And listen, the playmaking is, of course, going to be there. But if James Harden is not going to be a scorer, and of course, defensively, we know that he is not going to give you really anything on that side of the ball, it's going to be extremely difficult for Philly to get past Boston, no matter how great Joel Embiid is. I really think they need Harden to be that second elite scorer next to him. Maxi, of course, you could trust him in moments, but I really think it has to be Harden. And then the last game I want to touch on is this Lakers-Grizzlies one. Drew obviously gave his thoughts. I just want to quickly share mine because, you know, Drew told me to stop talking about the Lakers because I don't know what I'm talking about. And my, you know, pre-series analysis was right. You never know what you're going to get from the Lakers. I don't know if you consistently trust them for 48 minutes in a seven-game series. I know there are stats out there that show the Grizzlies are better without John Morant over these last two years, and their win-loss percentage might reflect that. But the fact that you have this Grizzlies team who might be playing with more energy without John Morant, he's their best player. And this was a time for the Lakers to go into Memphis, take a 2-0 lead, and really take control of the series going back to L.A. But we saw them in the first half. They didn't show up. They had a great third quarter, cut the lead to six points. Fourth quarter kind of had some good minutes and bad minutes there ultimately ended up losing the game. But 
this is kind of the story of the Lakers all season long. They could look great for a half. They could look great for a game, even in, in that game one, um, which was really only mostly the second half. Um, but then we have a follow-up in this game where the first half they come out flat. Um, you know, the Grizzlies were able to get to the paint. And I really think the third quarter, the Grizzlies were settling for a lot of jump shots and three-pointers, which allowed the Lakers to get in transition and fast break and cut that lead down. Um, and they were missing a lot of point-blank layups as well. Then that fourth quarter, maybe got a couple calls go their way for the Grizzlies. Um, but overall, I don't think we saw the 48 minutes of, you know, top-end basketball you need to see out of the Lakers. Um, I still think the Lakers win the series because talent-wise, without John Morant, I think there's a gap there, especially the way Rui played these last two games. We know Austin Reeves could have those type of games as well. Um, but I think there's just a talent gap right now with AD and LeBron being that top end and the Grizzlies really not having anybody. Of course, Jaron Jackson is great, but not quite at that level. By the way, where's Riv? Where'd he go? Riv is on his way to South Carolina. I believe he's on a road trip. So that's why he didn't show up. I, I know oh, that Riv wasn't going to show up after John Conchar got minutes. No, no, it wasn't. Of course not. You saw that block, fellas. Uh, so, Dells, you made a great point. We talk often about Chris Paul being cooked, right? Chris Paul this year has made only 12 laps. When are we going to talk about James Harden being cooked? The guy can't score inside the arc. Oof. Like, I know he's a great playmaker, but he's got one of the easiest jobs in the league. He's on a silver platter, just diamond up to all and beating one pick and roll after another. He's just knocking down one mid-range J after another. James Harden's made two two-pointers in the series, and he can't create separation. So while in that Philadelphia series, I don't know if they'd have a Joel and beat answer. The Celtics would have a James Harden answer because with how well Derek White's playing, this is going to lead into my Hawks point. Man, we have to talk about Trey Young, guys. The guy in his last seven playoff games is shooting 33% from the field. For his career in the playoffs, he's a 28% shooter. I would rather have Darius Garland than Trey Young on my team for four reasons. Number one, Garland's <laughs> clearly reasons. better shot maker, clearly better shooter. Number two, he's the clearly better off-ball player. Trey Young is a statue off the ball. It's like he's paralyzed. He literally does not move. Number three, defensively, Trey Young is probably the biggest wallflower in the NBA. I mean, have you guys ever seen him in transition? When you're the point guard, you're the last guy back, and he may as well not exist because he just goes to this deal at half court every time. He misses, and then it's a fast break layup. And then number four, this Hawks team, to be competitive in the playoffs, needs him to be one of the two best players in the series. Last year, he was not even the best player in his team. That might have been DeAndre Hunter. This year, he might not be the second best player on his team. He's shooting like shit. He's averaging six turnovers. We've gone to a point where Trey Young, a boiling point, right? Where mentally he has not matured his game. Off the ball, defensively, as a leader. And it shows because that rubs off on all of his teammates that are shooting poorly as well. You know, he is the straw that stirs the drink as an undersized guard. But the more we watch Atlanta, the more we see who he truly is. There's no excuses. He's got top five coach in Quinn Snyder. DeJounte Murray shooting the lights out. When he's off the floor, he's got a lot of really good young wins. Jalen Johnson's going to be really good. DeAndre Hunter, when he's clicking, he's a good player. But Atlanta just misses a leader and a guard. And then they, just imagine if like James Harden shrunk five inches and it was 50 pounds lighter. That would be Trey Young. That would be it. Oh, oh, oh my Can I ask goodness. you a question, John? And I don't know if you're going to, if you hold similar beliefs as me and Joel, but. Are we are we gonna pretend like Garland didn't have his moment in the sun and he shrunk against Trey Young last year? And are we also playoff game? Are we no okay. support? I'm I mean, asking yeah, you a question. Fair enough. What did Trey Young do in his third season? What did Trey Young do in his first playoff experience? 
Well, he was cooking and, and Alfred the, Payton. Congrats. And the, Alfred and Payton's the garden, no longer in the lead. And the lead, Garden, he put on an absolute show. Series. Yeah, that Philly series, his best game was on Danny Green, who can't move laterally, in all due respect. And then in Game 7, it wasn't Trey Young leading the Hawks to the finals. He shot 5 of 23 in Game 7. It was mm-hmm. Kevin Herter and Ben Simmons leading the Hawks mm-hmm. to the finals. I know okay. Trey Young ended his career uh, rim protecting on Ben Simmons, but I think that playoff run was slightly overrated, too in some ways, because they had an easy run and really good matchups. So, look, well, I, I, I agree, I agree with that. I'm not I, disagreeing I, with I understand you there. where you're coming from, where Darius Garland in his playing game didn't play well. And he's, and he's also playing, playing off of Donovan so Mitchell. Even, yeah, yeah. And you know what he's doing? He's balling out. He just had he one had of the a, best Well, he had a great game, too. He had a great game, too. A great game, too. game one, he was okay. He was putting RJ on straight The reason why the Cavs lost was because Garland was not more dominant and effective. Game I get two, yes, it, it was, was great against the Nets, though, in the first place. But what, I don't want to harp on this Trey Young point because I don't I, either. He Trey stinks Young, in the playoffs. I I think, and it I shows think, your best player can't be a point guard on a championship caliber team. And Trey Young is the exact example of that. Where of asked the question, uh, Riv was asking this question Can Trey Young be the best player on a championship team? Hell no. In 2021, that was the first and only chance he would ever have as being the best on a championship team because of all the injuries. That was in that year they got banged up. Giannis was banged up in that round at the end of it against the Hawks. And we said to ourselves, okay, if Cam Reddish develops into Paul George, yeah, they go to the finals, but Paul George, top 15 player. And that never happened. So, yeah, I mean, I'm done with Trey Young. I'm done defending him. I did earlier on in the season. Man, the guy's a floor raiser that just doesn't translate in the playoffs. He can't get to the rim. He's reliant on the three throws. He's not, he's not a good shot maker. Like, his shot selection is piss poor. And it's, uh, it's made that Celtic series borderline unwatchable just because he's been so... So Dejounte was hoping. Now listen, now listen, John. Off the floor. I, I'm not gonna rebuttal your your Trey Young points. I agree with most of them, and I think I'd rather Darius Garland at this point in time too. But you've tried to go on this huge rant about Trey Young to take away from what you said about James Harden, which I think is ridiculous, and it's honestly one of the worst things you've ever said about James Harden. James Harden has one bad game too, and now all of a sudden. He he. We're talking about if he's cooked or not. There's somebody who just led the league in, in assists, and you might think that these are easy assists. I mean, you tend to criticize a lot of great passes. You criticize John Stockton. You criticize everybody not named Chris Paul when it comes to assists. I don't know what's wrong hey, with Jokic. J- James Harden. This he, he this the second time he's led the league in assists, and when you talk about the amount of points he's scoring with the amount of shots he's taking, he's having one of his most efficient seasons. This year, he may not be the same player he was a couple years ago, but to say that he's cooked is simply ridiculous. He can still get to the basket, although not on an elite or great level. It's good enough. And what Philly needs from James Harden is spacing. Tyrese Maxey is supposed to ascend into that player that can attack the defense and create rim pressure. James Harden is shooting 40% from three this year. James Harden is doing his job just fine. James Harden and Joel Embiid had the most efficient pick and roll this year. So so to act like James Harden is just this shell of himself, like he's Chris Paul right now, it's just ridiculous. Joel, what did you last year in the playoffs? NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. 
Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. When it matters. You mean off an injury? Off an injury? Game seven. Also, also. J- James Harden, James Harden, but okay, can can we add context to this though? He James, was hurt. Harden, James Harden last year, it was a season where he was coming off an offseason where he wasn't able to work out. He was rehabilitating his hamstring. So the entire season, he was a complete shell of himself. There's a reason why he came into this season and he looked like an all-NBA performer. The reason is because he was able to train properly in the offseason. And nobody will disagree that James Harden this year has been an all-star, has been a borderline all-NBA performer. The only reason he's not going to make an all-NBA team this year is because there's just so much talent across the league at the guard position, but he's been that good. I don't think it's about regular season, though, Joel. Like, we understand he's a top 25 player. In the playoffs, when you're going up against a Boston that can switch four or five different guys onto you, will James Harden show up? I don't think you believe he will. Well, that's and also, a question. That's a that's a serious question. And listen, Boston, I think we have to give them a respect too. Oh, Marcus really? Smart, Derek White, point of attack defenders that are great defensively. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Of course, they do have bodies to throw at James Harden, and that's going to be a big task for James Harden. But let's not act like it's not the same team that last year locked up Katie and Kyrie. You calling Kyrie washed? You calling Katie washed? So if Harden doesn't play well, he's washed? Doesn't make sense. James Harden literally in game one had 23 points and 13 assists. He has a bad game too. All of a sudden, he's washed. Come on. I, yeah, yeah, can't, just like Chris Paul, he's reliant on shot me. 13 assists. 20, 23, 13 and 13. assists, and he can't has score inside the arc. And both of these games were double-digit wins. So let's not overanalyze this. Yes, we yeah, we can say that James Harden is fine. That James so Harden needs to be better. Game two, it was like an eight mm-hmm. nine point game at halftime in game one. So Maxie did his thing. 30. Game two, I know what you're saying. Well, game one it was ugly. Game one was yeah. ugly. Game two, you're, you're basically you're making, making, game you're making John. You're Got making it. your analysis on James Harden being watched based off a series that didn't happen yet, and based I'm off the information, <laughs> and, and based off the information that, that if James Harden goes to the second round and doesn't play good against Boston, he's watched. So does that make Kevin Durant watched? I'm just asking because the past two times last year in the playoffs he was not good. Does that make Kyrie Wash, who historically for the last couple of years has not been very good in the playoffs? There's a difference. It's that James Harden, the assist totals are there, and the shot making will always be there. But I'm talking about getting to the rim and scoring inside the arc. In the playoffs, you got to be able to do that. And while he made a million threes in game once because they're all helping off of Embiid, all helping off him to guard Embiid, doubles and triples. And so, yeah, when he's making shots, he's on. What happens when he's not making shots? But I also want to clear up one thing. I said a point guard can't be the best player on a championship team. Now, obviously, Isaiah Thomas and Steve, Steph Curry have both done that. Those are the two exceptions. Magic. Steph Curry is top 10 player of all time, and Isaiah Thomas played 40 years ago, so or 30 years ago. So I just want to clear that up. But generally, it's hard for a point guard historically to win. Well, we know that that's an anomaly. I think that Trey Young, given the right situation, could do something. I, I feel like the only thing I disagree about disagree with with your Trey Young rant is the fact that you try to prop up this Atlanta roster like it's like it's above mid. This Atlanta roster is is mid. You're talking about DeAndre Hunter as this, oh, yeah, they got DeAndre Hunter. He's one of the most unreliable players in the NBA. This Mm -hmm. season, he stayed fairly healthy. Previous years, he was not not healthy. Doesn't it say something on this mid-roster for two straight playoff series? Trey Young has not been the best player in the playoffs. 
It's also because it's team. very hard for him to cook up when there's zero spacing on his team. And there's usually t- there's usually two bigs on the floor at all times, and yeah. neither they're of them the can do anything teams. shooting the basketball. John John Collins can kind John Collins can kind of shoot, but regardless of that fact, I mean Dejounte is obviously going to be on the court a bunch. DeAndre Hunter can kind of he can shoot sure. Trey Young has not been the most efficient, but it's very hard for him to 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 have any type of spacing or, or create any type of offense when everything's so cluttered. And since getting Quinn Snyder, since he was coaching the team, they have had the fourth best offensive rating. And Trey Young's game has been more efficient. So has DeJounte Murray. But I nice. think when we talk about the Atlanta Hawks, it's more about roster construction than it is about Trey. It Agreed. is hard to build around a point guard. And that's why a point guard can't be the best part of your team. You're not fooling anybody by saying Trey Young's Steph Curry. He's not. He's not that at all. But Trey Young, if he's the third, second option on the team and his his job is to be a floor general and create space and hit open shots, he can definitely do that. But that's the question. Can he play off with another star? Is he scalable enough? The guy doesn't do anything off the ball, Joel. He just stands there. Like he's I paralyzed. think I think with Quinn Snyder this year, when he's took over with DeJounte Murray handling ball, Trey Young has been pretty efficient. And early in the season, Trey Young has shown flashes of being pretty good off ball. It's just it's about responsibility. If you give Trey Young less responsibility, I think you get more out of him. Have you seen the millions of clips of him just standing there though? Like it's not about efficiency. It's are you gonna actually do something when it's not in your hands? Of course. Like his it, controller I mean, died, dude. I'm not listen, trying to Trey, Trey Young, Trey Young definitely off the ball has his flaws, but I think every player that's playing off the ball when their primary skill is an on-ball player is going to struggle. I mean, a perfect example of that is in Portland when Anthony Simons is playing alongside Dame, he averages 19 points. When Dame is not on the floor, he averages 27, 28 points and looks like a supernova. There's a reason Garland dropped off from 24 points per game to around 19. You know, when you have less responsibility and you have a player in front of you that is capable of doing more, you give that responsibility to them. But Trey Young has not had that. DeJounte Murray was supposed to be this all-star move, but DeJounte Murray is not a true star player. He's a great utility player. You know, he has his moments, but he's not the fit alongside Trey Young, and getting him was always a concern. You know, that's why, like, for example, I think if Trey Young played with an Anthony Davis, it looks a lot more different. I think it looks a lot more different. So it's all it all it's all dependent on fit. I do want to talk yeah. about the Suns and the Clippers game because they beat them 123 to 109. And I've heard a lot of takes on this series because Katie and Booker are playing way too much. Katie's logging in 44 minutes. My and God. It's possibly not sustainable for the entire playoffs. But in fairness to that series and the respect that series deserves, the Clippers are a hard first round matchup. And that is like a second round matchup. And the Suns, unfortunately, have to go a little bit more above and beyond to get past them. So I understand him playing these heavy minutes. But in in game two, you know, Chris Paul had a vintage game hitting a bunch of mid-range shots. They were abusing the the Clippers in drop. And and the Clippers, they got good performances out of Kawhi and Russell Westbrook. Great scoring performances. I do think that Torrey Craig not missing from threes is not going to translate in games going forward. And I do like that Monty spread out the bench minutes a little bit more. But in saying that, I think that he's still not utilizing his bench correctly. 
Like, I still want to see some TJ Warren minutes. I think Cameron Payne coming back in game three is going to be a huge boost to their offense. The Suns, I do think they get back past the Clippers, but against the Nuggets, that's that matchup really scares me. It does, because I think the Nuggets are just, they have more chemistry, they have more depth, and they're going to be fresher for that matchup. My concern with the Suns really does become, let's say that this series ends up going six, seven games, and you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker logging in these ridiculous amount of minutes on top of Chris Paul as well, who we mentioned getting up there in age. And then now you go to the next series where the Nuggets will probably be a six, seven game series, and these guys are logging in again, 40 minutes every single game. Then you say best case scenario, they get, let's not say best, but they continue to move forward. They go, they go to the WCF. Now they're either playing the Kings, the Warriors, the Lakers, or the Grizzlies. All three of these teams are are playing very fast paced basketball. And regardless of that, you're going to continue to log in 40 plus minutes a game. Now you say by some miracle, now you continue to win. And now you go to the NBA finals and you have to continue that streak against the Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. It's not something that's sustainable, especially with KD at this eight at this age. Will he do it? Sure. Will he complain about it? Absolutely not. Well, in the long run, do I believe that this will hamper the Phoenix Suns, especially when you have Chris Paul up there in age, who shout out to Chris Paul, put on a solid performance last night, shot 50% from the field, was very, very effective, was one of the key contributors to, to the Suns winning as well. But my, my analysis on game one was a little bit wrong, where the fact was I said, hey, you saw Devin Booker and KD put on elite performances and the Clippers still came away with the W I I failed to realize that there's a different level when you're Kevin Durant and you're Devin Booker and Devin Booker was absolutely all world the last game that they played and so definitely this game's going this series is going to be a great one I was I was teetering with the idea of flipping I'm gonna stay consistent here I think the Phoenix Suns do win this this series in a six game series however I do still have my concerns with the Phoenix Suns because of their lack of depth and because of the unorthodox amount of minutes that this starting five will have to play. Dells, you want to go? Yeah, it's not too complicated either, right? You have two superstars, Katie playing 44 minutes, Seven Booker playing 45 minutes in a round one series, but it's not awfully complicated. We see this in basically every lineup across the league who have two superstars. You keep one guy on the court, you take one guy off, and at all times, one of them are on the floor. That's why when we saw Steph Curry and Draymond go out together and you, and you lose your two best playmakers, that's why you saw the Warriors give up that lead. So for the Suns and Monty Williams, who, you know, one's coach of the year, but there's a lot of back and forth between if he's really a great coach or not, I don't think the adjustment is that difficult. But at the same time, I don't know if he sees anything wrong with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker playing these type of minutes. Devin Booker is a bit different now. He did have an injury earlier in the season, but for Kevin Durant, who is at his age, who's had multiple injuries this year, last year, every season, really, since that, that ACL tear, or the Achilles tear, it's worrisome. And Devin Booker being great, 38 points. And there's takeaways from both of these teams. On one side, you know, does Torrey Craig, like Joel mentioned, hit all of his threes? Probably not. Do they shoot 60% from the field? Probably not. Do the Clippers shoot 31 free throws again and make 28 of them? Probably not. So I think there's going to be some sort of, you know, average to the mean from both of these teams. But at the end of the day, I still think the Suns, while the depth is worrisome, right? Because 
you have guys like, you know, Josh Okogi actually played some minutes down the stretch. He had 15 yeah. minutes. Biombo gave him some really good minutes with eight. Yeah, they actually had was, two players. They had two players yeah, this time three. in double digits. Oh, three. I apologize. You're you right. You're 100% Akogi, right. Biombo and, and Shamit. Um, you had Biombo come in. Aiden got in foul trouble. I think it was second or third quarter. Aiden was cooking in that first half. I think he had 10 points a half around that. Was super efficient in little middies, post hooks. Um, then he got in foul trouble. I think four or five fouls in the third quarter. Biombo comes in. And he gave some great minutes. Obviously, he's not the offensive player that, that Aiton is, but you're, he's there for their rim protection. And I thought overall, for what Bizback Biombo is, he gave some fantastic minutes. I still have the Suns in the series. It's really going to come down to, can Monty Williams just kind of wake up and see what everyone else is doing around the league and just put one of these guys to the core of the time? It's not sustainable at all for Kevin Durant to play 40-plus minutes a game. Devin Booker maybe could get away with it because of his, his youth. Um, but still, he had a pretty serious scoring injury earlier in the season. You don't want to test him too much. Dallas perfectly said. The way the Suns want to win games is in a way that we have not seen in recent memory. They're a mid-range reliant team. They took the last, the dead last amount of shots at the rim this year. They were 30th in the league. They don't get to the foul. They were fourth to last. They don't take many threes. And in basketball, getting to the rim opens up everything. It allows you to penetrate, get those three throws. And, you know, DeAndre is the prime example of this. Your center is one of the most gentle bigs in the league that's always out in the shoot. And now he's going to have games like the other night where he's money for mid-range. But DeAndre and taking one 15-footer after another is not opening up the game for his teammates. And it's not just a math problem taking twos, that two points is worth one less than three. It's a matter of being able to create those advantages. And so for a Suns team that's reliant on mid-range shooting – playing Kevin Durant, who had an ankle and a sprained MCL injury this year, 44 minutes in each of the two games, and Devin Booker, who's had multiple hamstring injuries, 44 minutes a game, is not how they're going to sustain the success of elite mid-range shooting again and again and again. I think the Suns are pretenders for that reason. And to make that worse, there's not much spacing here. Right off the bench, a lot of people are laughing at me for saying, Damian Lee, you think he's a needle mover? He was the best shooter on the team. And what don't they have right now? Shooting. Torrey Craig's the only guy that's making three-pointers. And uh, as you said, Joel, just the TJ Warren minutes, like that's probably your best wing off the bench, right? And he's big enough to guard Kawhi. But like he just, they haven't even tried him off the dust, really. And then Landry Shaman, I want to throw up every time I watch him play personally because he's supposed to be a shooter. He's getting, like, he's getting paid tens of millions of dollars and he doesn't even make threes. So like, he's just doing cardio out there. Um, and to make all of that even worse, you never know what you're getting uh, defensively, this group out there training Mikel Bridges, uh, especially DeAndre Ayton, who just like has one of the lowest motors, I think, among starting centers. I'm aware of Monty Williams' favoritism and allocating minutes because my girl is a Suns fan and she's on Suns Twitter a lot. And that's a constant complaint among Suns fans with Monty Williams is he plays favorites a lot. And I think what Marcus Morris was to Tyron Lou is exactly what Landry Shamit is to Monty Williams. He plays them when he probably shouldn't be playing them as much. When you brought up the Trey Young point, I remember a couple months ago when we were we were we talked about Trey Young on the Joel Moran show, and I don't know if you were defending Trey Young, but I know that you were talking about yeah you were, and you were talking about the Hawks offseason moves and their mismanagement. So I just want to I just want to bring that up. So. This has been the Atlanta Hawks mismanagement for the past couple of years, and this is why they failed to build around Trey Young correctly. 2017 draft, they draft John Collins. Good pick, 19 pick. He used to be a 20 and 10 guy, but he's regressed every single year. 2018 draft, 
You trade Luca for Trey Young. You draft Kevin Herter in that draft. Kevin Herter was a good pick, but but then you trade Kevin Herter to the Kings to free up cap space to get DeJounte Murray. And in the process, you get back Justin Holiday, who now is on the Dallas Mavericks. 2019, you trade the eighth pick to get the fourth pick and get DeAndre Hunter. And DeAndre Hunter's good when he plays, but he's fairly unhealthy. And with the 10th overall pick, you draft Cam Reddish, who say what you want about the lack of situation and opportunity he's gotten. To this point, he is a bust. He is an eighth overall pick bust. That's what Cam Reddish is. 2020, sixth overall pick, Onyeka Kongu. Backup big at best starter. You know, he can be a starter. Onyeka could be a He's starter. Great rebounder. That's that's your sixth overall pick. In Not 2021, yet. the 20th pick, Jalen Johnson, who's shown some flashes, but is nothing special that you see. And this past draft, AJ Griffin was a good pick. Two years ago, when the Hawks made the conference finals, they made it because in the offseason they spurs on Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. And that led to 41 wins and a fluky conference finals appearance, in my opinion. The very next offseason, they made no moves. They got eliminated in the first round by the Heat. They got embarrassed. And then this past offseason, you trade three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray without improving any, any other part of your roster. And this is where you get when you do all those moves. To be fair, Joel, I don't know if they make the conference finals without Danilo in Game 7. No, they don't. I, I think short-term, it was amazing. Short-term. And right now we got Pee Wee to plug in the stream. Show Pee. Don't, don't promote him. Don't promote him. Don't promote him. Don't do that. <laughs> Listen, this guy, look at that right there. Oh. That's exactly why we're not going to promote we this. Got guy. a ball nowhere. No, of course. Show. All all jokes aside, <laughs> shout out to our dog Pee Wee. But come on, Pee, you're you're better than this. And I understand that we have our back and forth when it comes to the Lakers. But you you don't got to be that. You don't got to be on their type of timing with the with the late praying on the Lakers downfall. You don't need to do that. You're a smart guy as a, uh, on its own. Don't do that. Don't stoop to that level, please. Don't do that. When it comes to trying to build a, when it comes Who to said that? To build a... <laughs> oh my God, P, stop <laughs> it. You can suffer with that alone. When it comes to trying to build a championship team around a certain player, you have to hit on the draft on at least two more surrounding players. With the Nuggets, that's been Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and they made the trade for Aaron Gordon. For the Celtics, it's been Tatum, it's been Brown, it's been Marcus Smart. They hit on Rob Will. You know, you've hit on every draft pick. With the Hawks, they just haven't been able to hit on those draft picks. Missing on Onyeka, who's all right, but you could have had better players at that pick. They, they needed a wing at that time. They had Capella. They probably could have went to sell if they really wanted to, or even Tyrese. When you don't hit on players with your top picks, Cam Reddish, Onyeka, it, it, it does ruin the timeline of the team. It does. And before we get past this Clippers and Suns game, I know I mostly talk about the Suns, but real quick, Kawhi Leonard looked like the best player on the court for yeah. Devin Booker was great, but maybe that first that first three quarters, especially Devin Booker in the fourth kind of took over there. He's been the best player play. in the playoffs so far. He, Kawhi has he been might unbelievable. Have been, he was just like in his typical vintage Kawhi mode. You wouldn't even know when he had any injuries. That's how great he was. If we're going to talk about Kevin Durant playing 44 minutes, though, Kawhi Leonard is playing 39 minutes in game two. I don't have the game mm-hmm. one numbers off the top of my head, um, but I know he's playing a lot of minutes. And after the game two win, um, or game two loss, Ty Lue said, this is what we saved him for. This is why he gets load managed. It's because the playoffs and playing these minutes. Um, and obviously, we all bash load management. 
But I do think if the Clippers go on this run, win in the first round, maybe go to the conference finals, the finals, or whatever it is, we might be talking about load management differently if Kawhi Leonard is able to have this playoff run, be damn near the best player in the playoffs while still missing, you know, 30, 40 games, however many games he missed the season. And also a shout out to Russell Westbrook, who would, had one of the most efficient nights for Russell Westbrook's career, probably in the playoffs. He was out of this world scoring 28, added five and five, and just making winning plays all over the court. Of course, they lost, but had a great game. Oh, yeah, Kawhi, he was the best player on the court. And he's playing yeah. this well because now Paul George, next series, when he comes back, has to carry. He's the one that got to carry the load if, if Kawhi is gassed for that series. I don't think so. I feel like with the way that Kawhi Leonard has just been so dominant, it's just going to be a matter of Paul George playing Paul George. Typical Paul George, he just needs to ensure that he carries over his play from regular season to the to the postseason. And we kind of saw a glimpse of that. Not am I am I thinking of last no two seasons ago? Of course, we saw Paul George kind of slay a couple of those demons. But I feel like he just needs to play his game, especially with how mm-hmm. dominant Kawhi Leonard has been. I, listen, if Paul George was playing. The Clippers are a the strong series, contender yeah. to win the championship. Yeah. I'm not even exaggerating. The Clippers, Kawhi Leonard has just been playing such great basketball that he has convinced me that if Paul George were healthy, this is a championship winning team. That's Give him that great. respect. Give Kawhi that respect. We didn't that. respect him on our last show. When we were talking about top five players in the in the Western Conference. Shot he was, I had five. I had him at five. I don't know what you I, I had four. I, I said I had him at five, but my bias was going to put AD at five. I was honest. I I said I was honest. I said, hey, I have Kawhi at five, but my my bias is going to put AD there. Let me ask you a question. Do we rush stars that are trying to contend to win a championship far too soon? Let me repeat that. You're doing a trade to win a championship far too early. LeBron didn't win a championship until 27. Michael Jordan didn't win one until 27. So who are you talking about specifically, John? Luka Doncic, Trey Young, all these young star guards, they're in their early 20s. I just hated on Trey Young, and now it's just like, well, no, I gotta be careful. We gotta call him. Drill is because we saw in a comment, and it it sparked my interest. So, John, you don't want to be in my head like that. I don't think that's true. And listen, right now, before we, because I'm not sure how long P was going to be here, because it's probably very late where he's at. Super chat from Pee Wee the Plug. Shout out to Pierre, man. Shout out to Pierre. And in that, we're going to read some more Super Chats. This from Josh Botang. No way John is wearing a big baller shirt shamelessly. Bro, it's comfy. It's comfy. Dude, you look fire. Yeah, tough shirt. RJ the God, as talented as the Celtics team is, do y'all think they can take the 08 Celtics team in a seven-game series? Mm. Offensively, I mean, I would say offensively, this is a much better constructed team. The three-point shooting, obviously with Ray Allen still – Three-point shooting on this team, I think, it is better all around. I think mentally with KG and the defensiveness and the toughness know, they Tony have. Tony Allen. But he, fuck. I was going to say, but even still, that will be a good matchup. But I think just the three-point shooting this team has overall might be able to get it done. I think this version, Jalen Brown, is better than that Ray Allen. Tatum now is better than that Paul Pierce at that time. KG has the advantage of anybody in the front court. And Marcus Smart and Rondo, I give, I give the advantage to Rondo, but in terms sure. of like team needs and I guess spacing, I, I'd rather probably take the duo of Derek White and Marcus Smart. I don't know. It's Marcus Smart and Derek White versus Tony Allen and Rondo, really. I agree. You're just forgetting Burke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Him or Robert Williams. <laughs> Him or Robert Williams. I don't but know. Eddie House. Eddie House was good. I, I'd go with these Celtics. I'd go with these Celtics. Yo, the Wolves are making it interesting. It's a five, yeah, it's a three-point three point game. 
Yeah, they're playing really well. One point game. One point game is 70-69. My my John is like five minutes behind. Damn, 23 to 6 run. They're wilding. So easy E goes talking about training is like talking about your gains at the gym. Nobody cares. <laughs> so you had to fear it that that was that is mad rude. Aiden Ramirez, San Diego's pick aside ambassador, is back from the Padres game and ready to ask the tough questions. Would you say this year contains the most star power ever seen in the NBA playoffs? So many superstars across all generations. Mm. Maybe. Only thing that would have made this a little bit better would be if Kyrie and Luca obviously made it because Luca is mm-hmm. one of the biggest stars in this game. But uh, it's hard to argue not. I mean, just got to hope the injured guys get back. Yeah, you have good. Every, Jock, yeah, good. Paul George, yeah, good. Yeah, you have every great player that's in the playoffs aside from probably Dame, Luca, Kyrie. That's it. Like that is yeah. very impressive for the league, and I'm sure the league loves that. Luca, Kyrie, SGA. SG, well, yeah. SGA facts. I'm thinking yeah. the play in. You're right. You know, Franz Wagner. <laughs> Andrew way. Wilson. Loving the late night pods. My brain isn't, but we're know. here. Pick a side meme, which is Santos. I need Joel, Dells, and Riv to be on playback so I can get the spicy content. I need to feed my family. I felt Yeah, it was a, like three crying. hours afterwards. It's just th- this playback was a lot of me being angry. It wasn't good vibes. <laughs> RJ the God, start bench you. cut. <laughs> Rui, Derek White, and Josh Hart. Mm. It's in that order. Um, I'm starting right Derek, now, start White. Derek White. I'm benching That's Josh Hart and cutting Rui. Derek White's starting for us. I understand. It's I understand the cutting Rui. Rui. It's a conversation it's, for yeah, the bench between Josh Rui's, and Rui. Without a doubt, that conversation. I just feel like just the energy that Josh Hart brings to his team, an intangible, that's a little extra thing that I don't think Rui provides for us. So I think that, yes, I would. I, I agree with you guys. Rui's if Rui keeps falling off the three. catch, it'll be a discussion. <laughs> Say that one more time, uh, Joel. I said if Rui's going to keep shooting 80% from three, he might have to take God, that with Josh Hart. Yeah. That brother is him. This from Vay Sports. I hope I'm saying that right because I know last time he corrected me. Better superstar duo, Xavier Tillman and Derek White or Austin <laughs> Reeves and Rui Hachimura. What, where the hell is Derek White coming from in this situation? I'm going with yeah, that. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. I'm going with the X-Men go and Derek White. Got to. Likewise. It's because Derek White is just so much better than every other player here. Put some respect in Austin's name, dude. What are you talking about? What do you, I'm, I am, and I'm acknowledging Derek White. I so feel like that's more still, important here. Derek White's significantly better than Austin Reeves. I feel like he is. He's better. I don't know about significantly. He is. He's a way better defender also. And not that Reeves is bad defensively, but Derek White is Extremely good defensively. If you think Reeves is a lot better off the off the dribble, I would say. If you think Reeves is better than Jordan Poole, then the gap between Derek White and Reeves shouldn't be massive. Yeah, I gotcha. I'm maybe I'm sounding very strong in my wording, but I still think Derek White's a better. No, I don't care about that. I'll stay consistent on that. That brother needs to cook up. He's been. He's been hearing my He's energy, very and I guess like Jordan Poole, I think more oh. than anything. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Got to keep the, got to keep that up, especially because Red Wilder. So Santos, it. Warriors in six. He's playing. Let's hope Dell's Wi-Fi is strong today. And then last yeah. super chat from I Suck Toes. Just here pushing my <laughs> agenda. Nixon six. 
Joel is a clown for every single time his name pops up, he reads it with so just authority. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be any easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing each morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. It's a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pick That's athleticgreens.com slash pick Check it out. So, Pierre, if you're here, how are we feeling about the Knicks? Are we being a Cavs? What do you think? And in that time frame, we're going to go on to Draymond Green and his suspension for game three. Did he deserve to get suspended? It's, it's simple. Simple question. Suspended for game three, big time game. It could potentially cost the Warriors a 3-0 deficit. I mean, what are your thoughts? We know, I was going to say, we know where you're going. So I'm, let me go because I feel like I'm oh, yeah? not going to have the same opinion as you guys. I don't think he should have gotten suspended. I honestly don't even think what he did was so insane. Ejecting him was bad enough. And now on top of it, you're suspending him. And you can understand the reason why he was suspended. It's not the play. I feel like it's the history of Draymond Green, and that's what led to this decision because he plays so strongly, so passionately, a little bit too aggressive at times, and it leads to this. He's extremely vocal on the court. I feel like his history is why he got suspended. However, I'll say this. I think that in the moment, you are, are you have human natural human reactions, and if another man grabs you in that situation, or you even have the idea that he's grabbing you, what are you supposed to do? Let's say that Sabonis goes, grabs Draymond's leg, and Draymond doesn't doesn't do what he does. He doesn't step on Sabonis, and instead now Draymond twists his ankle. He falls to the floor. Is Sabonis getting suspended? Is Sabonis getting ejected? That like it's just so it's just so situational now. Where yes, Sabonis initiated, he started the issue. Draymond Green followed it up by something that wasn't the best of moves. I wouldn't say that it was great, but I don't think ejecting him was right. If you were going to eject him, you needed to eject Sabonis because his actions were solely because of Sabonis or what he at least believed Sabonis was doing. So then on top of it, now you're spending him for a game. And a must-win game for the Warriors, and that really doesn't have to do anything with the, the league's decision, clearly. But regardless of that fact, I think that this was definitely way too way too critical of a punishment. You can take in the history and use that to your argument. That would be the only reasonable thing that I would hear out. But in my opinion, from what I saw, I didn't think that this warranted a suspension. Now, if you had told me that Sabonis grabbed Draymond's ankle, twisted it, and Draymond now has an ankle sprain, I would say, yes, he should get suspended. He should have got ejected from that game. And it's not much of a different comparison. DeMontis Saponis has a sternum contusion right now. They, they x-rayed him, and that he has a legit injury because of that stomp. And I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority here, but when I saw Sabonis and I saw him, his hands or arms on Draymond's ankle, he looked to me in a defensive position, guarding his head. It looked like he was guarding his a, head falling there's down. There's an angle that it does look like he's guarding his face, but there's like 10 angles where it looks like he's grabbing his ankle. Yeah, and well, to me, that's how it looked like. Regardless, whether he grabs his ankle, there's a play early in the, se- early in the season when 
Chris Middleton grabbed Dylan Brooks ankle and Dylan Brooks just just fell. He didn't stomp Chris Middleton. He just fell and he didn't make a big deal out of it. Draymond well, stomped. Did. Draymond stomped DeMontis Sabonis, which I think is the biggest thing. And it was intentional. He admitted it was intentional. And after the game, he said that he wanted to send a message to the officials because they haven't been calling these these uh physical fouls. But I think it's it's very rich from the Warriors coming from the Warriors complaining about physicality and being overly aggressive for years in the playoffs the Warriors have gotten away with screens that are a bit too physical you can argue that are illegal screens they have gotten definitely illegal they have gotten away with Draymond Green just taking guys to the ground I mean last year Draymond Green chased down and tackled Kevin Porter Jr and he suffered a thigh contusion and he missed time with that and people saying that oh well Sabonis was baiting Draymond well, that's a strategy, right? You you want to try to bait a player who has a history of reacting emotionally and that can cost his team. If I'm fishing and I'm and I throw the hook into the water and a fish catches my bait, am I gonna throw him back into the water? That fish is mine. That fish <laughs> is mine. So I think it's a similar situation here where last year in the finals, Draymond Green, after I think Jalen Brown hit a shot on him, Draymond Green put his entire ankle and leg on Jalen Brown's face and kind of just scraped his face while he was going down. Jalen Brown didn't get up and react and kick him or, you know, shove him. He didn't do any of that. He, he just got up in his face. He, he got, got up, in, in, his face. He got up yeah. in his face. Well, it's different. Draymond didn't get up into Sabonis's face here. He got, he stomped him. He stomped him and used him as a trampoline. I think that is different, and that's why this warranted a suspension alongside his history. I mean, Draymond Green has a history of these dirty plays, and, and you know, you can argue Sabonis has had dirty plays. Okay, I whatever. I mm-hmm. think that when it comes to this series and any team facing Golden State, you have to play physical because Golden State plays physical. Golden State gives you these cheap shots with their elbows and stuff, and now I see the Warriors are complaining about the – uh, Sabonis using the ball as a weapon. It, it's just ridiculous to me. And I think the Warriors, it, this happens with dynasties. When you're winning, you don't complain. But now you're losing, something has to be wrong that's not our play. It has to be everything else but us. This has been one of the worst road teams in the NBA. They have not been able to defend the Sacramento Kings. And their offense, the Kings have been able to defend them very, very well. So to me, I, I have no sympathy for Draymond. Whether you want to believe it's right or wrong, that's another story. But me, I have no sympathy for the Warriors or Draymond, and I have no sympathy for their downfall because they have gotten the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. They, they've, they've gotten the benefit of the doubt on officiating for years now. And now when it's not going 100% lopsided their way, now it's a problem. Now the league has something against them. Newsflash. I think the NBA and Adam Silver would love it way more if the Warriors and the Lakers match up in the second round as opposed to the Kings and Lakers. That's just me, though. Yeah, you know, I got a text after this from my buddy saying, you know, after the last eight years, watching Warrior fans bitch and moan as the sun sets in this core is truly hilarious. I got a thought to myself, what Draymond Green did was simply a lack of composure. You know, we're taught as young kids, you know, if you then follow up someone doing something wrong to you, you're going to get caught for it. And Joel, you made the point too in December on the 15th day where the Grizzlies were smacking the Bucks at home. Middleton grabbed onto Brooks' leg. NBA players today are, are kind of trained to, hey, look, if someone does something remotely dirty to you, sell it, make it a big deal. 
when it was his face, uh, Josh Richardson in the playing game. He hits Josh Giddy kind of in the groin area. Giddy gets all pissed, pretending kind of to stir it up. And what do you know? Josh Richardson gets a flagrant one. And so when you make it a big deal, Draymond falls on the floor and does some antics. Domas is getting a flagrant there. And Draymond's not getting suspended in a must-win game. Now the Warriors, the team that has to play the best offense in the NBA, is going to do it without their lifeline defensively. And if they lose this game in Game 3 without Draymond Green, this dynasty is over. Mm. That's the bottom line. This year, the Warriors have been the worst defense in the league without Draymond Green. And, you know, we have these conversations about the best defenders in the world. And what does OG always say to us? Well, you never know when Draymond's going to do something stupid and not be available for his team. Sharon Jackson may be in foul trouble, but the defensive player of the year is at least not making mistakes like this. You know, it's somewhat acceptable if you're going to be in foul trouble, but you have the composure upstairs. But when you can't in the biggest moment, the last couple of minutes, be there for your team, that's when you let them down the most. Yeah. And shout out to Jaron, who's actually stayed out of foul trouble these first couple games in the playoffs. And I haven't really talked about that much. Admittedly, he, admittedly he got his money's worth today. The, the refs were blessing. They were blessing. <laughs> oh, look, uh, no, another crazy. trainer about no. the refs. Um, Come on, don't do that. Um, Who are they blessing, Drew? Wow. Jaron Jackson. Anthony should have had an offensive, should have had two defensive. And instead, with the, there are six fouls. He only had two. Edwards has 27 right now. Yeah, it's is it 27 27? Is he gonna hit the shot? He is okay. Well, Minnesota's up. Um, the Draymond situation is tough because Drew, I see your side. Um, when I saw it first happen, the kick to me almost looked like half a kick, right? If you really want to stomp on somebody, Draymond did not try his hardest to stomp on the bonus. It no almost, doubt. You're it almost right. looked like Draymond went to stomp on him, and halfway through, he was like, Oh, shit, I'm bugging out, and kind of gave up halfway through. Now, Joel, of course, there's that injury out there. He got an x-ray. I don't know how much I believe it. I mean, it, it, it was a kick. It was illegal. It was dirty. It did not look like he was trying to injure Sabonis. If he wanted to injure him, that kick, that kick would have been a lot more violent. But For sure. what the NBA has done these last couple of weeks with the Mavs looking into their tanking and now Draymond getting suspended mostly because of his history and because of not just the kick, but what he did after the play, riding up the crowd – I understand the NBA not wanting another Malice in the Palace situation where Draymond's hyping up this crowd. Someone throws something at Draymond and, and all hell breaks loose, especially because Adam Silver is in attendance too. I think Draymond has to be a little bit smarter than that. Your boss literally is in the stands. Let's not do anything you know, that that's going to warrant very suspension. Dumb. That was dumb. I'll give yes. you that. That was dumb. Yes. Watch um, live Antonio so, Brown. <laughs> yeah, the, the NBA looking into this – it's just weird that the NBA, like I said, these last couple of weeks, it, it seems more that it wasn't about the action itself Draymond had. It was more about everything Draymond's done in the past and everything that happened after the kick. And unless I'm wrong and feel free to correct me, I feel like most of the time when a player gets suspended, it's because of, you know, that technical foul, that flagrant foul, that actual play, and not exactly the player's history or what happens after the play. It is a bit of an outlier situation just because I feel like you don't usually see a player trying to, you know, get the crowd to get angry in a sense, especially that they're all working against the Warriors. Draymond has this history. Um, but overall, the NBA is doing this in a very non-NBA way that we have seen throughout the course of its history. 
Um, personally, I am praying on the Warriors' downfall. It's going to be tough to win this game three. But I do think at the end of the day, if you're going to step on somebody, regardless of if it's a full kick or half a kick, and that setting, that environment with Adam Silver there, you can't be upset if you get suspended. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of thought that Draymond double stomped him. No, no. I don't know if it's just the replay I saw, but I saw Draymond stomped him, and then he used him as a launch pad to then then jump. I think he he lifted off his left leg and jumped over him, but his left leg wasn't the bonus. And, and Joel, I would love to know if you would be okay to level with me here. Both should have got ejected. What's your opinion? No. No. So only Draymond deserved to get ejected for that, even though Draymond's actions were solely caused because of Sabonis? Draymond shouldn't have been ejected, in my opinion. But... I agree. So but if for you're going to eject one, you need to eject both. So, so, for example, if we're boxing out and we're being very physical with each other, we're boxing out, we're being physical with each other, and we're, we're being rough, and I elbow you, right? I elbow you a little bit and, you know, hit your stomach a little bit, and then you throw me to the ground. Do I deserve to be ejected too? I feel like that's completely different where in this scenario we're talking about someone who was on the floor, grabbed Draymond Green's ankle. Whether that was intentional or not, the, sh- the video shows us that he grabs his ankle. And again, like I said, human instinct. If someone is grabbing you, you're going to react, whether you like it or not. That's just what's going to happen. And so, yes, Draymond Green's actions were not one that I would have sided with, but I don't think that that was cause for ejection, especially when his actions were solely because of Sabonis. But there's a difference, though. The grabbing of the ankle is less extreme than the stomp. What? I mean, yes, I feel like, but in my opinion, they're both bad. They're, they're both, both not bad. Great. I mean, they're both bad. Oh, like, one is, one, is, one is physical assault, one is murder. Okay, relax. Okay, I don't think <laughs> obviously that. it's, an, ex- it's, it's an it's an extreme example. It's an extreme example for sure. But like one is obviously far more worse than the other. No, nah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. But it, it also, it looked to the sense that Sabonis was trying to injure Draymond Green. It didn't. And look yes, like it, that. it also, in my opinion, to there's you, angles. My there's opinion. angles. There's angles that that defend both cases because there's one I think the Kings broadcast or their home broadcast showed that like it really did he looked like he was covering his face and Draymond's ankle was just right next to his face but there's other mm-hmm. ankles that look like he's actually just grabbing his ankle it, it didn't for me at least Draymond is a, is a is a big 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 strong guy so for me right. if, if one, Domas one if Domas is How actually big? If Domas is actually grabbing his ankle with all his strength, I mean, Domas is a strong dude, too. I mean, let's not, this guy's 6'11, he's very strong. If he's actually trying to grab his ankle and putting force on his ankle, I don't think Draymond would have been able to release it as easily as he did. Also, as a bonus, he got hit in the jaw in this game, too. And he was like, I think it was earlier in the first half. And so that probably played a role in him trying to protect his face. Now, he also did hold on to him a little bit longer, but. I- I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I and mean, in today's NBA, you want to see the best teams with their players out there. And that's why I'm like, dude, just let him play on. Like suspending Draymond, well, it does the league a favor. He's doing the stupid A B stuff running around every time he gets why is it every time he gets ejected? He's trying to get his money's worth. But for the NBA, it just makes the product of this matchup, this series, so much worse. And if this ends in four or five games, which it will, if they win in, in Golden State tomorrow, 
the NBA is losing so much money here. I felt like that was a pretty bad decision from their point in business. Well, who cares now? Let the Kings advance. Come on. <laughs> I want to see good basketball. Dude. It would be it would be it is good basketball so, still. It'd be cool. It is. Now uh, the heart and soul, the the loud guy that kind of you know riles up this dynasty is also the reason it ultimately comes to an end. So now recently there was a writer for the athletic, Zach Harper who said that the NBA should ban charges. And this is coming after the two plays of John ja Morant going to the basket on AD and then falling on his wrist. And then Giannis's back injury when Kevin Love drew a charge on him. I'm not in agreement with trying to ban charges. I'm just not. I understand that it's not a basketball play per se, even though I, I you know, there's a lot of arguments to say that it is a basketball play. How are you going to stop offensive players from being out of control? There are so many examples of charges where an offensive player has a lot of time to change his movements and to change the direction of where he's going, and he just goes straight line, and you charge right into somebody. I feel like that should still like charges should still be a thing, and I don't know why there was such an extreme reaction when it comes to this writer Zach Harper. He probably does amazing work, but this was an extreme reaction when. We have 200-plus charges a year drawn. We have probably even more potential charges that are called as blocking fouls, and we don't hear injuries from that. But because of two plays that happen that just so happen to end, happen, end in an injury, and it's not even like serious injuries. John Morant might still play in the series. Giannis might still play in these playoffs and in this series as well. And I think if the Bucks really needed him, he's possibly still playing. To me, why ban the charge over two play over a rarity? This was a rarity, you know, and and, and that's game. my that's my big thing. Why are you going to ban something just because of one, just because of two events? It doesn't get happen. Often. I get what you're saying. Uh, the way I see it is, more often than not, usually, a play in of that nature is resulting in at least one person hitting the floor which means that in almost every single scenario that a charge is occurring, there's at least one player that has a risk of injury. And now I am actually in the minority that I do believe we should take the charge out of the game because I don't believe that is a basketball play. I feel Shocker like LeBron you... guy. And, and Giannis and I'm Zion, joking. fair enough. No, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to say I, I am in favor of athleticism, um, but I feel like defensively you can still highlight your – athleticism by being able to contest at the rim. But this would also mean that there would be less fouls being called where a lot of the time now where a defender really does not get the benefit of the doubt if they go straight up, usually the attacking guy does take, uh, does get the benefit of the doubt there. However, I feel like not only would we see less injuries occur, we would see more highlight plays, both being dunks and of course, highlight level blocks. So, do I understand where you're coming from? Yes, you could say that this is a rarity injury-wise. But again, nine out of ten times when a charge is being called, there's at least one person hitting the floor and at risk for an injury. And I feel like while you eliminate the charge of this game, it also promotes athleticism, which is what the NBA is all about. And again, you see the highlight plays. I feel like that's really most important for me. And that same standpoint, it can also promote reckless play. Well, Yes and no. I feel like you could say reckless where a guy just kind of goes head down going to to 
to to drive to the basket. It's understood, in my opinion, if you're just standing there waiting for the contact, that's not a play that I'm looking for that I, I want to call a charge. The, the kind of play that I'm looking for is the guy and the guy that's driving where he has the defender in front of him, the defender's engaged, he's playing defense, and he just barrels into him. See, that's that, in my opinion, is an offensive foul. That's reckless. I don't like the type of foul where a defender is just standing there waiting for the contact. Understand that a player is trying to aggressively drive to the paint. I feel like there, that's when injury is going to be it's going to be had. And in those scenarios is when we see at least one person hit the floor. I don't think I feel pretty strong about this. You should keep charges um, for one. It's the offensive player's responsibility to take care of his body. It's the offensive player's responsibility to know if I'm going to try to jump over another human being who is probably at least 6'5", 6'6", there is a high chance of risk that I'm going to hit the floor. That's not the defender's fault. That's the offensive player's fault. We saw last night a play stood out. I think it was the first quarter. KD is driving to the rim. Zubac goes to set a charge, and instead of going up for a dunk or layup, he stops and pulls a little eight-foot jumper. Now, listen, if that's maybe not in Giannis's game, maybe that's not in Zion's game, but that's on them to develop that so they don't have to put themselves at risk for being injured on that type of play. And then you also have defenders who, a guy like Jalen Brunson, who is, I don't know, top five in Chargers, top three among the league leaders, who's six foot, six one, normally the shortest guy on the court, now has absolutely no chance to defend damn near anybody in this league without charges. Everyone he's going up against, the fact that he's at that size and is able to take charges, put his body at risk. Nobody cares that the defender's putting himself at risk, and he's able to successfully do it. I think if you're taking charges away from the game, you're almost creating a new era of basketball when the shot clock got implemented. That's basically the type of change you're going to be making to the NBA because now guys like Giannis, LeBron, Zion, all these guys, Ja who are able to have some sort of, whether it's speed, strength, athleticism, just straight up blow by defenders and are stronger than defenders, now nobody has a chance to be able to guard them. And you might say, well, now promotes blocks. It does, but when you have a guy going full speed, going up a guy who's going straight up, both of their bodies are still going to collide, and there's a good chance one of them's hitting the floor still. So if you want to take away charges, we're almost entering a new era of basketball where we're going to see offensive ratings be 125, 130 yearly and continue to rise. I would like to see the charges stay because you're you're really taken away from any defense that's still left in the league. And Kyle Lowry has been the king of taking charges for his entire career. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been a injury he suffered from taking charges. Yeah, the reason this matters is because two of the top 15 players on the same day suffered injuries on plays where they go airborne and the Kevin Love play was rough, ugly. John Morant play was also rough and ugly. Most charges don't result in injuries. And you can make the case if you take charges out because of the reckless abandon these stars already play with with the charge in the game that there'd be more recklessness and maybe more injuries. And I'm not laughing at you, John. I'm sorry. The, someone in the comment section was talking about Kyle Lowry and why he never got injured. It said he he's said it's because he's got a lot of good shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, guy. <laughs> that was hilarious. All right, go ahead, John. Go. I'm sorry. Keep going, John. This is kind Come of on, the way that's also <laughs> never never taken a charge before in their life. Sure. I was always losing playing time for that reason. But I think the charge should stay in the game, uh, just because. It's been in the NBA for a long time now, and how are you going to guard a Joel Embiid 
a Giannis, those players, if they're flying to the paint even harder and the game also wants to promote more skill, right? It doesn't want to promote that ugly style play as Zion and battering you to the rim. Like, sure, it's going to be elite offense, but it's not as appetizing and enjoyable for fans. So I think the charge is a good thing. While it may have led to two injuries, uh, you know, that's a controversial topic, though. No, definitely a controversial topic. So Dylan Brooks tonight said about LeBron James, I don't care. He's old. I poke bears. I don't respect someone until he gives me 40. I love how he didn't hit love the three all game. He hits his first three of the game, and he starts just getting LeBron's face, Lance Stevenson. Oh, the, the stare down was hilarious. Stare down. When he when he hit his three to get him to nine points and was chirping in LeBron's face, I was crying, laughing. I mean, he had the plus minus to back it up. I'm really sick and tired of hearing that, John. That determines the winners. In the I'm Lakers, tired of it. Bro. Please, please. So of course they're going to be against it this year when the Lakers, no. Haven't been as dominant as the Grizzlies. Man, Dylan oh Brooks, God. and he had the three to seal the game, man. He did. He did. Dylan, and Dylan LeBron, Brooks. LeBron literally looked at him and was just like, nah. And he still made it. I was just like, all right, Bron, that's on you solely. Man, LeBron, man, getting outplayed by Dylan Brooks. <laughs> he definitely <laughs> did not get outplayed by him. So now we're going to move on to this next topic. Reacting to the anonymous player poll. So the Athletic had an article where they asked a couple hundred NBA players to give their answer to the questions that all of us want to know. And the first question that was asked is, who's the MVP this season? And I have the charts here. Joel Embiid received 50% of the votes. Jokic, 25%. And Giannis, 16%. And Tatum, 4%. Love seeing yeah. Shea on there. Shea definitely needed that acknowledgement and respect. Maybe that leads to him being, obviously the players don't have much say in it, but maybe there's a little bit of validity to SGA being first-team All-NBA this year. But really surprised at not more Giannis love. Maybe I I feel very strongly that Giannis was the best player on both sides of the court overall this season and was the MVP. Bucks were the number one team in the conference, one of the best offensive performers this season, scoring over 30 points, one of the better defenders at his position as well. So that's why Giannis was my MVP. I would have been I was a little surprised to see that his percentage was low, but it was a dominant dominant performance from Joel Embiid 50% saying that he was the MVP with the way that people were vocalizing earlier on in the season I would have expected Jokic to get a little bit more love but hey Joel Embiid was impressive and I guess he does deserve this award do you guys think that NBA players maybe you know there, there's been this argument obviously this MVP discourse that Joel Embiid's due for one right he runner-up multiple years like just give it to him do you think NBA players maybe have more respect for multiple years of dominance, going through practice every day, flights, travel, all of the press conferences, basically all the stuff that maybe we don't think about as we're just looking at on-court performances? Do you think these NBA players maybe have a bit more respect that Embiid's been doing it multiple years and hasn't gotten his recognition yet? I just think NBA players think that Embiid is more skilled. That's what I think. And I think that NBA players view this from a different lens Whereas I was watching a podcast clip from The Point Forward, which is the Iguodala and Evan Turner podcast, and they were just talking about Paul George and saying, you know, Paul George has literally no weakness in his game, like not even close. You know, and the regular fan hears that, and they're like, well, if he has no weakness, he should probably be the best, right? But that's not always the case. And I feel like NBA players definitely view the game from different colored glasses. And when they compare Jokic and Embiid, look at Embiid and say, well, he's a, a more skilled player. And I think that's why Giannis didn't get 
most of these votes because although he did have a tremendous season, they kind of don't view Giannis's game as very skillful. That's just my opinion on it, though. And also, those players are basing that off their games against those players. Like, they're not sure, watching some random Charlotte versus Houston game or Charlotte versus Milwaukee game in February. So, if Jokic put in zero effort in two of the five most of the regular season on defense, and like three of your games against Jokic came one of those two months for a lot of these guys, I'm sure that didn't vote for Jokic or didn't vote for Giannis was because when they played him, he may have been dogging a little bit. So it really kind of depends on when you play these starts. Would Giannis ever dog it though? Let's be real. No, but Jokic did. Jokic definitely did. No, for sure. Yeah. I just look at Giannis Jokic. and I think every single night he goes onto the court, it's 110% every single night. I think also with Giannis, his team is like really good without him too. Like fair thirteen seven, so that plays a role as well. Where it's like, damn, like there are forty five. The Beats team was really solid without him as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Whatever. The Bucks just blew out the Heat without Giannis though. Like yeah, Bobby Porter is starting. Starting, starting a roster from scratch. The first player they would pick if they were signing in free agency. First is Giannis at 52%. Two is Jokic. Three is Luka. <laughs> four is Steph. Five is Embiid. Six is Tatum. Seven is Other. I love seeing LeBron mm-hmm. getting recognition at 38 years old. That's pretty Al impressive. And That's got so nice. one, Al and Goon got one vote. This is that obviously is... the right answer, though. Yeah. Giannis is number one. He <laughs> needs to. Good. Oh, come on. Giannis is number one. He is the best player in the association. He 100% deserves to be at the top of this list. John, call him casual. I know you're obviously joking, but regardless, you have to acknowledge the two-way ability, his dominant offensive performance, and obviously his dominance on the defensive side of the ball. To me, it's a no-brainer. I don't think this is a landslide, though. I mean, Jokic is the highest floor raiser in the league. He's maybe the easiest star to play with. And while he's nowhere near the level of Giannis on the defensive end, like he makes every one of his teammates better. I think, especially if you're a perimeter player, playing with Jokic is the greatest gift you can possibly have because he takes the entire playmaker responsibility off your plate. Same goes if you're a wing. So I think Jokic should be getting a little more recognition. He's in yeah, second I agree. place. <laughs> no, right? It was not like Jokic was like four. It was a landslide, though. It was a landslide. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, like... <laughs> And now going show on to again. can you show me it one more time, please? Yeah, I, I am yeah, surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight percent second place. And Steph and Tatum all tied with Embiid yeah. having you know spotty playoff success. Obviously, not getting past the second round. I would expect Embiid maybe to be a tier lower, but they also all just voted for him for MVP, so maybe they think it's more of a team issue than Embiid or Doc. Not no doubt. Now, best defender in the NBA. Number oh, one is God. Drew Holiday. Number two is Lou Dort. Three is other. Four, Brooke Lopez. Five, Marcus Smart. Jaden McDaniels getting some love. You got Bam out of bio there as well. It's a pretty Nick, Nick Claxton getting some love in here. Mobley low. How is Draymond eighth? With the he way might that be the best defender in the league. With the way that we speak about Mobley, with the way that the media speaks about Mobley's defense, I'm shocked to, for him to not be higher. I'm also. I guess I shouldn't be now with the way that it's looking. It seems as if they valued perimeter defense a lot more, especially from these guards, which obviously Jaden McDaniels being high on that list, deservedly so. He's an unbelievable defender. But Drew being number one, and we understand the DPOY has become more so a big man award outside of Marcus Smart last season, first guard to win it since Gary Payton. But 
for the poll to be guard, really, in my opinion, guard centric, as opposed to to the bigs that we're accustomed to both holiday Dortz is a wing, of course, but I still think that it's, it was surprising to me at least where I was expecting Mobley to be higher. I was expecting Jaron who's DPOY to be yeah. a little bit higher. Draymond green, obviously who's one of the best defenders of our generation to be a little bit higher. So, so yeah, that was, that was pretty and shocking. You have Brooke who's, you know, just a rim protector. Like we're talking all these guys who are all versatile. They can protect the rim and they go out on the perimeter. And Brooke is, you know, obviously not someone who, who's guarding guards on the perimeter and he was third highest, but to your point, Drew, yeah, you did have three of the top four guys, excluding other, all being perimeter guys. And then you have the only outlier there being in a rim protector only and taking away all of the most versatile Draymond Mobley, Jaron Jackson. This I really agree. made no sense to me. Like, I feel like as NBA players, you know a lot better than me that rim protectors are much more valuable on defense than perimeter guys. I mean, Lou Dort and Drew are elite. They're spectacular, but... I mean, Bam is below them, and Draymond is well below those guys. That just that to me is kind of crazy. I think Draymond is one of like the ten best defenders of all time, so I think he should be much higher than three percent, dude. Yeah, I thought Draymond should have been higher too. I Drew think Holiday. Respect, I think the entire NBA, there's just a lot of respect for Drew Holiday. And this is a respect yeah. type of thing. Let's be honest. This he is the people you like that you're just like, yeah, what the fuck. Uh, Drew, but Drew deserves it. I think Drew obviously has shown come playoff time that there are, are l- less than four or five players in the world that you would take over him defensively. Well, so I can I can understand that acknowledgement in Drew, but I was shocked to see these other big guys not given as much respect. Looking at most o- most overrated players and underrated, most overrated players. Number one is other. <laughs> Number two is Trey Young. 15. John, what did you do? To your point. John, what did you do here? John, we data. Julius Randle second. That's a that's rude. Unsurprising. So who do you think was number one? Well, wasn't the other composed of like ten guys? Like on the players. bottom, it says like who got votes for other, I think. Oh, that's what it says right there. Okay, others. Yeah, include... other Aiden, Beal, Pat Bev, Booker. Devin Booker, yeah. Booker. Tyrese Halliburton, interesting. Okay. Austin Reeves, you see Austin Reeves made the list? That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I, think, I think this is an interesting an interesting game we can play right now. Um, I'm going to try to get this most overrated thing on my phone. So the camera's on us while we're making this. So for every overrated, overrated player, we're going to vote and basically call them overrated, underrated, and you know see who we think is under overrated, overrated, honestly. That's it. Yeah. So let me just get it on my phone real quick. Dame is on there. That's disrespectful. Yeah, Dame is most definitely not overrated. It's a ridiculous statement, but people feel that way. JC does not is not a fan of Damian Lillard at all. That's shocking. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> okay, so I have it on my phone right now. So according to the athletic. These players were voted by other players as being overrated. Number one, Trey Young. Overrated? Yes or no? No, not overrated. Properly rated. I think he's Over- overrated. Overrated because, overrated because, to John's point, you're not building a contender around him. Julius Randle. Not overrated. I feel like people properly are- rated. Yes, I agree. That's properly said. rated. He's he's an all NBA type talent, but 
I don't think to almost to like Trey Young, he's probably not going to be the best player in championship. He's not going to be the best player. In championship Let me ask team, you, but he could I, be individually really great. I feel like he's more disrespected than he is praised. So I don't understand how he could be overrated. I would say the playoffs. Until I would Randall, say Julius is underrated. Until Randall plays well in the playoffs, he's underrated. Coming from you. <laughs> My he goodness. gets a lot of disrespect. That's rich coming from you, John. Until Randall plays well in the playoffs, overrated. Pascal Siakam. Overrated. I hate to say it, but there's a little bit of empty calories to his production. That's also because the the lack was, of depth was, on the Raptors. I don't know, man. I'm not going to say overrated. Pascal is not. I don't overrated. think he's overrated. John, he's properly how is rated. He, how is he overrated? Like, how do people? So I feel if you're like judging him up. as what he is right now in Toronto, and like, oh, he's a top 15, top 20 player. I would say he's probably like top 30. But what he when he was number two off of Kawhi, I would say he was closer to underrated back then. It's just like when he's cast as number one, yeah. that's the expectation, that, yeah. then he's overrated. There was more um, also there was more unknown for him. He was younger, the potential you could see with his frame and body, you know. Who would you that. rather have? Jaron Jackson or Pascal? Oh, Jaron Jackson. He raises my ceiling so much higher defensively. And on offense, he's really come along with his floaters and the shots kind of there. So me and Joel were having this conversation on the playback. It definitely yeah, yeah. is one that I'm willing to hear. Jaron Jackson's definitely improved vastly this season. Next one, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler made this list. Is he overrated? Absolutely not. No, he's underrated, bro. I think he's, he's underrated. He's probably he's rated. maybe maybe overrated for the regular season, but when it comes to playoff time and he's got to step up more times than not, you know, he, he's doing his thing. What do we remember? Rudy Gobert. Overrated. 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 Trade five first round picks to the guy and just what Rudy Gobert are we talking about though? We're talking about the one this year in Minnesota or the one for nine years. Oh, in Utah? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'd say the one for nine years in Utah is underrated, but this one is, you know, not worth the value that people thought. Jaron Jackson Jr. Definitely not overrated. Properly I feel like rated. I, properly I've rated. Been, I've been I'm giving him a lot of respect and acknowledgement as for his progression this season, offensively specifically. So I'm going to definitely say properly rated. Yeah, I think he's been underrated. I think there's another level to his game that he can reach that people are kind of sleeping on right now. R.J. Barrett. Overrated. People I don't think he's even he's not he's overrated rated. anymore. He's Everyone knows rated. what R.J. He's not deserving is. to be on here right now. He's, he's probably yeah, liability on offense, and if he's not giving you great defense, there's no reason for him to be on the court. Dylan Brooks. Oh my God. I'm going underrated. <laughs> Dylan Brooks is an underrated player. Underrated people hate player. him yeah, because of his antics and they, they, they ignore his fantastic elite yeah. defense. His offense, all right. Uh, let me not let me let me break this down. His offense is bad. It's it is not good. Shot selection is great. Yeah. So I feel like with that, yes, people are more rude to him than he deserves, but his offense is so bad that it allows me not to feel that strongly. So I'm just going to meet myself in the middle, properly rated. Draymond Green. Underrated. Underrated yeah. big time. He's underrated. Big underrated time. or properly rated? Definitely not overrated. Damian Lillard. Un- I mean, he's not underrated or overrated. He's properly rated. We know what he's Damian properly is. rated. He's a yeah. great talent on a terrible team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop it. You've turned into a you've turned into a Dame hater. Where are we where are we rating Dame though? It is do you guys think he can be the best player on the championship the top team? Top five guard. Yeah, he could be a one A. If you think Dame if you think Dame can be the best player on the championship team, you are overrating him. 
You sure about no, that? If yeah, he's, he's an all-star a, heavy year. Yes. Good role players around him. Like you, you, you if he is the if he's him. if he's the best player, he cannot be the best player on the championship team. I'm gonna be honest. I've come to that conclusion as well. I've been persuaded into that belief. I don't think he can be. I think he, he needs to be paired to be the like, one B. He needs to be paired with uh, a dog to be to be able to win a championship. I think also, a one B. I think is valid. And a last two. But go, John, and then we'll go to the as Vimp said in the chat. We should be considering contracts in this, too. I, I think that's fair. And Dame has a super, super max. Yeah. Like, Minnesota is the reason I think Gobert's overrated. If they traded yeah. a first round pick in, a, you know what I mean? Two first round picks, we're like, okay, that's fine. But they traded five. The last two, Chris Paul. Given his contract, it's easily overrated. His contract is partially guaranteed, though. But I think most people 16. think that I think most people know Chris Paul right now is cooked. He's a shell of himself. I'm gonna say properly rated. I still think that he does his job very well in terms of playmaking. And obviously can have those moments where he can give you some scoring when you need it. I'm gonna go properly rated. I think CP's underrated. I mean, historically, the fact he's thirty eight years old in a couple of weeks and he's doing this shit, I think he's a little bit underrated. Uh, you know, once he turns 38 or whatever, he just drop off. <laughs> bro, don't, don't forget you were hating on him. You were hating yeah, on him, and he put you to bed. Bro, bro yeah. did a 180 in an hour. Sleep, sleep. Now, last one, Austin Reeves. You're talking to me, so I believe that he is properly rated at this it point in time. Because now, with, with the way that people have decided to talk about Austin Reeves, which I've been trying to let everyone know for a while now, people are starting to overrate him but I will not do so. So for me personally, I say he is properly rated. I wouldn't mm. say he's underrated because there's a lot of hype beasts. A yeah. lot of them. He he's was the most- underrated a, mm-hmm. a, a month ago. He was underrated a month ago. As of today, there is a lot of conversation that even I would not go that far. He's I think he's probably rated. popular. He's the most popular overrated player right now. Like for people to overrate him, he is the guy people are overrating right now. But I think mm-hmm. if you know Ball and you understand his role on this Lakers team, if he's able to have those moments of excellence like game one and take over in the fourth quarter and give you solid defense, you can't, be, you can't ask for anything more. It's like we were in the playback and someone said that they would take Austin Reeves over Desmond Bain. I said yeah, you lost. Jason, uh, Jason Kempf, is that, is that his last name on the okay. volume? Had Jason Desmond Bain over Austin Reeves. I was like, I know you know ball. Like, can yeah. we please not do this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a big Austin Reeves guy. That's when we overrate him. We're playing about yeah. Desmond Bain, but I think he's yeah, proper. Now, on to most underrated players in the NBA. This is the list right here. So, Drew Holiday is number one. SGA is two. Mikel Bridges is third, Jalen Brunson four, and Jaden McDaniels five. Dells, you and were Derek White and Jalen Brown. Six you were you were sleeping that. on Jaden McDaniels, man, my friend. You were sleeping on McDaniels, but now the NBA player world has spoken and said you're wrong. If, if Big sleeping time. on Jaden McDaniels means that I don't know if he's going to be as great as Jalen Brown, then yeah, you're on this level. Was Jalen Brown on, on this list? He was, was, he was six, six, seven. I'm sorry, Maybe I, I didn't Derek see White. the graphic. My screen kind of lagged a little bit. Deservedly so, because a lot of people were disrespecting my brother Jalen Brown coming into the season. He's absolutely put a lot of you guys to bed. Drew Holiday, I, f- I, f- I think that's fair, underrated, because he's very quiet to himself, just plays basketball, is great at it, absolutely. So I feel like that's that's the acknowledgement he, he deserves. Now we're going to do the same game. 
Drew, Holl- Drew Holiday, is he underrated? Yes, he is underrated. I do strongly believe so. But the NBA players also said he's the best defender in the league. So I feel like he's probably properly rated right now, according you know, to the NBA players. I think they did that in more so to highlight Give how great of a basketball player. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then with that fact, now they emphasize it by saying, hey, start talking and acknowledging about Drew Holiday. He was crucial to the Bucks winning a championship. It wasn't a Giannis carrying. Drew Holiday was absolutely imperative to being on that team for them to have the playoff success. I remember seeing... Uh, an interview of Isaiah Thomas with Ball Don't Stop, and he said that Drew Holiday, if he had his own team, can average twenty five and eight a game if he wanted to. So Maybe I think twenty five win team. NBA players are very high on on Drew. I think that Drew though is properly rated. He's the definition of properly rated. I mean, when was the last time he shot above forty percent in the playoffs? Like I love Drew Holiday; he's a great player, but I mean. I think some people tend to talk about how underrated he is when it's like the guys like in the playoffs, oftentimes not that reliable for the Bucks. I, I think he's how often underrated. do you hear people praise Drew Holiday though? All I hear is how he's underrated, but like he's always shooting thirty eight percent. He had a great game today; he was ten of nineteen. But I just think he's a really inconsistent shot maker, and that was the whole reason they brought him in to find a more reliable shot maker and defender than Eric Gordon. I was like, going like, to say more so, Mister Thirty Eight Percent. I feel like in the playoffs, uh-huh. for as good of a defender and playmaker as he can be, great regular season player, but in the playoffs is where he really takes a huge dip. No, he was really huge. he was skip. He was really solid in that playoff run, specifically in the finals with the job that he did on Chris Paul. Uh, like yeah, he was he shot forty percent in that run. No, he wasn't efficient. I'm not going to say he was the most efficient, but defensively. I think that that's why you brought him in because defensively he can lock up any player that you put him opposite of. Your dog has me fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, no, she's having the time of her life back there. <laughs> I think so, your dog would say underrated for Drew. She Holiday. would. She so would. next name, SGA. He's I think I at this point in time, correct. He's properly rated. It's universally yeah, he's be all NBA first or second team. I'm with Ma- that. Mikel Bridges. His son's version underrated. He's been Brooklyn, underrated for a while. He's properly underrated. And I mm-hmm. think you're you're underrating Mikel if you think what he's doing in Brooklyn is a fluke because what he's doing is actually his game and he's capable of this. Let me ask you a question though. People are comparing it to James Harden. Is that at a Ooh. point now we talk about that's, overrated? That's, that's out of pocket. He's not that. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's where I, that, that's the reason why I I'm I'm teetering on this one. That. I'm going to say properly rated just for the sake of argument. Let's not let's not go too deep into it. But when people start to mention, hey, now he gets his own team. Hey, maybe we see a James Harden type ascension. That's when you start to lose me. And Scott, 39 right now. I think you picked his over points, right, Joel? Yeah, yeah. He's attacking. He's attacking. of all locks. Now, next one, Jalen Brunson. I think this season has properly rated him. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. To, to your credit, Joel, before the season, underrated. But now that we see what he's doing in New York, you know, should have borderline all-star. You can make an argument. Borderline all-NBA guard is, is obviously loaded, but he's been great this year. Jaden McDaniels. Underrated. Underrated. That's why he's I underrated. Behind. Underrated, for sure. Derek White. Very um, underrated. I still think yeah. he's I think because there's so much more highlighted on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Rob Will, that the lone forgotten, and, and Malcolm Brogdon, who's going to win sixth man of the year, everyone's getting their love and praise except Derek White, who probably will be or should be defensive team. But regardless, 
this guy has been va- he has vastly improved from last season to this season, and not many people acknowledge that and give him the respect to the point where yeah, people are having. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, no, sorry. I was just going to say, last season, people were shitting on the Derek White trade because he came in, struggled. The playoffs, he averaged like eight points on disgusting efficiency, disgustingly bad efficiency, that is. And now coming into this year, it was kind of like, hands up in the air. We really don't know what we're going to get out of Derek White, so he was probably mm-hmm. underrated. Now we see he plays all 82 games, one of 10 players, I believe, like Drew mentioned, probably going to be on all defensive team. And is right now, I mean, arguably the best player so far in these first two games against the Hawks. So, um, I don't think anyone was expecting this sort of offensive output. Um, so right now, I think you'd say he's underrated. He's improved so much this season. Like the confidence level for him has taken a full step forward, and that's the one thing that he kind of lacked last year. He's making now, pull up threes, bro. I was like, what the fuck? I, he's I always had it in him, bro. He always had it. Derek White has been getting a lot of attention recently, so I'll say he's he's properly rated right now. But I understand why you say he's underrated. Now, next one is Jalen Brown. The only way you can underrate him is if you th- or the only way you can underrate him is if you think he's capable of being a championship player and you're not saying he is. He's properly rated. I think we kind of have an idea. Yeah, he's gotten he he's gotten properly rated. He was wildly underrated prior to this season and last. Next one is Anthony Edwards. Properly rated, in my opinion. Properly yeah, rated. Probably, I think yeah. that it's understood that he's an ascending superstar. And he has right the ca- he has the capabilities to be one day a top five player in the NBA, in my opinion. I know Joel obviously is one of the biggest Ant-Man supporters you'll ever see. But we share similar beliefs that Anthony Edwards can be a superstar and is already on that way. And now the last name, DeJounte Murray. Overrated. Oof. He's definitely not underrated. I, I don't think you could say he's underrated right now. Uh, I'm going to say... Mm, I'm going to say properly rated for me individually. I feel like he is not – I don't feel like people talk about DeJounte Murray like he is one of the best guards in the game, but I feel like people don't recognize him as bad. He's not flat-out bad. No one does that except for Joel preseason. So I, uh, I, I think he's properly rated. Well, this is my take. I think last year's Spurs season overrated him to a lot of people. Okay. All this year in Atlanta has brought everything down to earth, and now he's properly rated again. He's also okay. making sixteen million dollars a year. So if you factor that in, I would say he's that's properly come up. rated. Yeah, but he's about steal. to get a big contract. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And And now last two ones: best and worst coach. So best coach, number one, people players still want to play for Greg Popovich. Then it's Steve Kerr. Then it's Eric Spolstra. Where's Tom uh, Thibodeau? I, the first, the rest- top two don't surprise okay. me. I think we could all agree, right? Um, no, they don't. I, I'm surprised to see Pop here just because of his success in recent years, but I understand it's a respect it's, factor. It's, yeah. Or top three. I didn't see Spolster either. Top Darvin Ham, 2% of the vote. Yeah. Who did that? Had to be every member of the Lakers. <laughs> Chauncey Billups. Yeah, that's that's something. And now this is worst coaches. Number one is Tom Landslide. I mean, how th- this is disrespectful. Tom He's above Steven, Steven Silas. Yeah, that's nuts. How All right, guys, what the I have to let you know. This year is crazy I had a couple of votes. Number one. Yeah, I bet. Oh my Tom god, that's Tibble. my goodness. So right now I'm I'm with a dilemma because I know the Nuggets won this game, yeah. but I I have a meme going. This is with Jamal Murray's face. Spirit bomb. Oh, spirit bomb. Yeah. Oh, 
but I made one with Anthony Edwards as well. <laughs> Rand Paul, thing, but what the, what the fuck team. was Tom Thibodeau thinking of leaving Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, a 25 point blowout? Yo, my dad was, did that too against the Hawks. That Hulk, was the stupidest shit I've ever seen. Like, my doing? dad was ripping Thibodeau. He's like, he should be fined. That's how angry he was. He's like, yeah, fine, Thibodeau for that. I is your dad Nick No, my dad is just a basketball fan. Jamal Murray went for 40 points tonight. He's back. Anthony Edwards went for 42. He's underrated. He's underrated, yeah, for sure. Jamal Murray is my guy. He is my guy. Oh, my God. Dells, he wasn't there. He wasn't there in the trenches. You said all-time player performer. He wasn't there in the trenches back when Jamal. You did say all-time player performer, and then you swear down that you didn't. No, I did. At the time in the bubble, for sure I did. I mean, me and Riff Riff had heated debates about Jamal Murray. I think Jamal Murray is really good. Who in the league? John, you got to talk again. You you blacked out. One more time. Oh, my fault. Who in the league would you like to fight the least? The poll had it. James Johnson won. If you forgot, James Johnson's in the NBA. He's in the Pacers for now. Steven Adams, Aquaman too. Three other at 15%. Four Embiid, five Haslam. Shout out to him. Six Giannis, seven Dort. Eight Admiral Schofield. I know he's in the league. And nine Marcus Smart. Steven Adams deserves that acknowledgement. I've seen him lift grown men and remove them from situations. Steven Adams is a scary dude. Yeah, Draymond's um, up there. I think James Johnson still scares me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he's a black belt. I think he's more than that. Oh, they know that. Yeah, but that's crazy. <laughs> now, <laughs> on to the next topic. Breaking down Jalen Hurts' $255 million contract. Now, he got paid this big-time deal. $179 million guaranteed. Highest-paid player in NFL history. Although that won't last long, we know that a quarterback is, is going to come in and reset the market again. He also got a no trade clause, which is interesting. The most interesting part about this deal is that he's going to make $64 million in 2024 to create cap flexibility and his cap hits for the next upcoming years. 2023, it's $6 million. 2024, it's 13. 2025, it's 21. 2026, it's 31 million. So, Dells, what are your thoughts? You know, you're a big Jalen Hurts guy. He just got paid rock star money. What do you think? ecstatic about this deal are we just so you guys know we have the price young uh, little uh, lower third here here we go look alive um i was ecstatic come on john when he got this money um it broke i was i was on i was actually working i was with chelsea though and i was ecstatic so should have saw the smile on my face the his story i mean we've obviously covered it a ton but from being benched to alabama you see the post-game interview of him just hyping up two and saying i'm just happy to be a national champion to you know transferring to Oklahoma, second-round pick, having to be a backup. Just the story he went, the underdog story that we've seen from almost all the top quarterbacks have some sort of doubt behind their name, and Jalen Hurts is no different. Not surprised Howard Roseman gets this done. Probably the best GM in sports. You see the cap hits over the next few seasons. I mean, only gets above 33, 35 million in the next three or years, three, four years. Um, the last two years, I think it's like a 70, 80 million dollar cap hit. But we know how that goes. It's going to get restructured. Oh, Okay, here we go. We're going to get restructured. Um, and then, you know, that cap hitch is going to get pushed down the road. 
But I think this is a great deal for Jalen Hurts. He gets $170 million guaranteed. It's also a great deal for the Eagles. They're able to, you know, lower that cap hit. It's not a fully guaranteed contract. I think this is huge because we were kind of going down that path of, is every quarterback going to be fully guaranteed now after Deshaun gets $230 million? I think Jalen Hurts being an elite-level quarterback, an MVP-type caliber player this season, the fact that he only took $170 million guaranteed, which is still a huge number, but the fact that it isn't fully guaranteed, is going to be great for, um, I'm sure, you know, owners and GMs around the league are very happy about that because Lamar Jackson's obviously due for a contract. Herbert, Joe Burrow, all of these guys that owners were very, of course, happy with paying their quarterback, but probably didn't want to have to give them all that guaranteed money because it makes it more difficult to kind of finagle the money down the road. But very happy for my guy, Jalen Hurts, well-deserved. Uh, we both almost went to well. That was funny. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. So what makes this deal so lucrative for me, if I'm not only the Eagles organization, but of course an Eagles fan is how they were able to finesse the salary cap. This really becomes the home run in it of all, because now it's, it's allows you to allocate money towards positions of need. And Jalen hurts deserved this money, in my opinion, for the ascension, for the way that he's been, year in, year out, improving his game. From year one to year two, he improved as a runner. From year two to year three, he improved as a passer. Not only just improved as a passer, but became one of the best statistical quarterbacks in the league. Was at one point the MVP favorite until he did not play the last two games of the season. Went to the went to the Super Bowl. Was excellent in the Super Bowl game itself. He was phenomenal. But the real reason why this contract is so amazing is because of the salary cap. Now, in terms of discussing these other quarterbacks that are going to be paid, yes, I think that as of right now, him being the highest paid quarterback was a priority for them to understand that they respect Jalen Hurts and what he means to the franchise. But then now you look at these other guys that you're going to look at owners and excuse me, the Bengals owner saying that Joe Burrow or now Joe Burrow can go to the Bengals owner and say, hey, I understand Jalen Hurts is that guy, but. I've brought us to a Super Bowl, and I brought us to two AFC championships back-to-back. You should make me the highest-paid owner. You should make me the highest-paid quarterback in the game. Justin Herbert now, where he has not had as much playoff success, but statistically, he is one of the best quarterbacks to start a career ever that we have ever seen. He is that great. He can now go to his owner and say, hey, you should put me in this class of quarterbacks because of what I've been able to accomplish statistically. Yes, I haven't been having my playoff success, but inevitably, I will get there. But I still can't comprehend sometimes, and and maybe it's still me learning the game of how they're able to manipulate all this, how they're able to manipulate the cap a player can get per year. And I understand that you give it up front, it allows you to lower it. But I still, maybe Joel, Joel, you can explain it to me. How did it get from six to thirteen to just? Anything less than the 50 to 60 million that we see these other players getting like a Michael Thomas that he's he was guaranteed the most money at one point. Is it just paying it up front that allows the 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 salary cap to lower? It's not paying it up front. It's pushing it back. Okay. so Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts cap hit in 2027 and 2028 will be ninety five million. Really? Which will eventually get restructured and it'll get brought. And then they'll push it back again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in his prime, so in his quote unquote prime, where these next upcoming years should be their greatest window to win a championship, the cap's at his lowest. I think that that's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. But, you know, once the roster starts to deteriorate a little bit and his cap hit spikes, we'll see how they manage that. 
but that's the biggest thing. And that, that's why we saw this past season, Deshaun Watson's cap hit was, I think, like a million because they transfer that to the back end. In a couple years, the Browns are going to owe, owe Deshaun Watson a shit ton of money, and they're not going to be able to build a roster at all. With so zero that's what void years. Yeah. So the, I think the good thing about this contract is that it's not fully guaranteed. And I think we're not going to see a contract like Deshaun Watson ever again. And Jalen Hurts, he deserved this contract. And he's smart. His agent's smart for capitalizing while his value's at his at its highest. He just led it into the Super Bowl with second MVP votes. Lamar Jackson, looking at him, he could probably capitalize on something after his MVP season, try to get something done, but he waited. He allowed his value to depreciate, and now we see Lamar Jackson. He's asking for $200 million guaranteed. It was reported the Ravens offered him that, and I think if Lamar, after looking at Jalen Hurts' contract, if he's not looking at that and looking at taking and pouncing at that opportunity, he, he's delusional. Because you're not getting more guaranteed money than Jalen Hurts at this point. After the season, as Jalen Hurts has put forth, put forth, you're not going to do it. But this contract was good for the Eagles because it gives them still a window to build around Jalen Hurts. And this roster is still good enough to compete for multiple years. So I don't think that the Eagles are going to feel the lingering effects of this contract like the Eagles did previously with Wentz or the Rams did with Goff or the Cowboys currently are with Dak Prescott. I think this is a much better structured deal. And it's crazy, Joel. When the Eagles extended Carson Wentz in 2019, that was a historic contract, 128 million. That was huge at the time. Uh, I was not fully guaranteed, and this Hurts contract is nearly double that. The guarantee money is at 179, and Jalen Hurts is deserving to be the most highly paid quarterback in Eagles history because he can be the reason they're winning champ. Like they've had great quarterbacks, but Jalen Hurts is a tangible factor coming out the draft. It's something that we very rarely see, and his rate of development is something even more rare. And uh, he is the exact leader you want in the biggest of moments. I think he is one of the most deserving quarterbacks in the league to get generational wealth like this, and I think it's only a matter of time before Philadelphia is back in the Super Bowl. Yeah, they should definitely should be NFC favorites. Now, next topic, Bryce Young. All of a sudden, he's jumped to being the first overall pick and this is a surprise because for this entire process, that has not been the case. For this entire process, Bryce Young was – some people said maybe he would go third, third quarterback taken. He would probably the second, mostly the second, though. People mocked correct, him to Houston correct. a lot. But for those wondering out there why Bryce Young is now the, the number one overall quarterback on a lot of people's mocks is because – the NFL makes these quarterbacks take S2 cognition tests with test a bunch of tests like your reaction timing, your speed. It basically measures how well you process information, which, of course, in a game like football is very important. Bryce Young had a great score, one of the best scores that they've seen. And a lot of GMs value this on top of the talent that he already has. And C.J. Stroud reportedly bombed the test. He was abysmal at it, and there's been some other reports that C.J. Stroud is hard to coach and that he ghosted the Peyton Manning or the Manning Academy for quarterbacks, and now all of a sudden, as Bryce Young's stock is rising, C.J. Stroud seems to be diminishing. There's also talks now that C.J. Stroud might even go number two overall. There's talks that Will Anderson, I believe, is the favorite right now, and 
I mean, this has gone back and forth. Before the Panthers had the pick, Young was the favorite. The Panthers trade up. You look at the history of Frank Reich, always can go for this big pocket quarterback. The odds on favorite are Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. And then you have news come out over the last couple of weeks, and now Bryce Young's the heavy favorite again. Part of it, I do think it could be the testing. I think part of it is also probably ownership, um, who is, you know, just bought the Panthers a handful of years ago, two, three years ago, very rich owner. Um, it seems like he, more than anything, is very interested in Bryce Young. He had some comments. I don't know where he got interviewed. Maybe it was the owner's means or whatever, talking very highly about Bryce Young. Um, they had questions about his height. He compared him to guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, saying we've seen guys have success with his stature. Um, so part of it, I do think, is the ownership really pushing for it. But also, I know Frank Reich is someone who's well-respected around circles in the NFL. He's someone who's had success as an NFL head coach, someone who's had success coaching up quarterbacks, too. So he does not strike me as the guy to be a pushover, to say, all right, you know, ownership, you have the final say. I want Stroud, but I'm just going to say fuck it, and I'll take Bryce Young just to make you happy. I think he really believes in Bryce Young, too. Even though he's not his prototypical quarterback in terms of stature and size, I think he sees what he's seen at Alabama these last couple of seasons, what he's able to do at Bama with nothing compared to what C.J. Stroud has, who has three, four first-round wide receivers. Bryce Young does not have any of that. Um, So while I do think the testing is part of it, ownership, uh, I think, plays a part in it too. And I think that a lot of it is not overthinking it. Bryce had been the number one overall projected pick for a couple of years now. And really, now that with this test net coming out and, and the, the report of that, that definitely could have played a factor into it. But more so talking about the number two overall pick, you mentioned how Stroud might not even go number two. If I'm the Texans, I think that's a smart decision. Bolster up the defense. Your team is not going to be great next season, in my opinion. Tank for Caleb. This is an excellent, uh, excellent move by the Texans. If I, if I am that organization, if you're not the most confident in Stroud, Caleb is the safer option without a doubt. Will be the number one overall selection next season. So I'm fine with the Texans making that move there. But, but really, Bryce, in my opinion, should have been the pick all along. I feel like that's been my quarter. That has been my quarterback one. I feel like his his ability to evade, his ability to hit throws on the run. His ability to make something out of nothing is by far the best in this class is the quarterback position. Although I will say stature wise, Stroud does have all the tools there, arm, physique, frame. Stroud definitely does have it there. But I feel like in terms of processing the game, Bryce is the most NFL ready out of everyone in this class. So I'm 100 percent sound with Bryce Young being number one overall. Yeah, I feel like I can't be the only one that thinks CJ Stroud's getting overrated by people. He's got great ball placement, and it's the best in his class. But he reminds me a lot of like a, a Dak Prescott from the pocket, where he's really good, but the intangible that Bryce Young has within the pocket to maneuver and extend and create out of structure, that's something that is worth a number and overall pick to me. Like I don't think this is much of a conversation. Bryce Young quite clearly is my number one quarterback, and while he is much smaller, when you watch like the games at Alabama, he was able to, with much worse talent, like that was not a typical Alabama team once John Meachie and Jameson Williams went into the draft, overcome that and was the better player. Well, CJ, is he going to have an easy transition to the NFL? He has had five first-round receivers, one of the best offense lines in college football. Like the transition, I think, might be smoother for Bryce because he already had to carry a poor team. And so I think this is reasonable. GM's got their jobs in the line. You can't take a top-three quarterback and have him be mediocre or slightly above average. Because after four years, you had to extend him. And then you're like, damn, we kind of, you know, maybe took the wrong quarterback. 
And that's where people five years later in Heinz are like, you're a moron for that pick. So, yeah, man, I don't think you can go wrong here taking Bryce Young. And if he gets hurt five or six years, I mean, the better quarterback. So now, according to Adam Schefter, he is expecting that a quarterback will not be selected until the fourth overall pick. But Ian Rappaport has reported that through, through the people he's talked to, he'd be shocked if the Texans didn't take a quarterback with the second overall mm-hmm. pick. So between Adam <laughs> Schefter and Ian Rappaport, I mean, who's the guy that you're, you're siding with? Shefty, unless – I was going to say, um, Shefty, unless it's related to Aaron Rodgers, is reliable. I, I feel like that's just my only opinion to have on the matter. So we'll see what happens. I'm going with Rapshi. I'm going with Rapshi. One week away, we got the draft, and no one really knows what's going to go on. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yes, sir. No, honestly, the NBA I, playoffs just been so great so far. I feel like nobody we have been looking spoiled. at the NFL draft yet. Yeah. Um, but NFL draft is one of my favorite days of the year. I can't wait. No, I know that you guys probably saw the Trey Lance report too. What's going yeah. on? Yeah, that was. Yeah, how did you it. feel about that, Joel? It's like someone told you Brock Purdy was that guy. Put some I think, respect on his name. Well, I think boy. the Niners are, are stupid. As stupid as trading oh, three, first, three first round picks for a quarterback. They got Darnold. They do have Darnold. Uh, Colin Coward tried saying Sam Darnold was basically a better version of Trey Lance. I was like, I don't know where the fuck you're getting that from. Um, I'm spitting. <laughs> it was in such an insane take as USC bias. Um, I'm not shocked. There was a report also that Brock Purdy said he's not even sure if he's going to play at all this season. Wow. Um, I I think they're the Niners. The report is they're fielding calls for Trey Lance. They're not making calls for Trey Lance. So if a team wants to trade a late first round pick or early second round pick. I'm sure they'll be all over that, but I imagine right now they're getting a bunch of day three picks being offered to them, and they'll just pass and see what they have. Trey Lance is a rookie. Although he completed like 57% of his passes, he had five touchdowns and two picks, 97 passer rating. Although on tape, I didn't think it was the most impressive thing ever. The stats were yeah, good. Four stars. And yeah. it's, it's the same thing with Brock Purdy. His stats were amazing, but on tape, I wasn't very impressed. So I think just – being in a Kyle Shanahan offense, Trey Lance is still going to play well no matter what. It might as well just start him and raise up his value if they really want to move off from him. It'd, it'd be really weird to go with Brock Purdy when you had Jimmy G and you traded up for Trey Lance to get someone who could do more than Jimmy G. And Brock Purdy, who might be better than Jimmy G, does not have a top five, top eight type of ceiling. No matter the high, you could be as high as hell as you want on Brock Purdy. He's not going to be an elite quarterback. He could be really good. Trey Lance? He could be solid. Probably not, but he at uh-huh. least has the tools, the athleticism. To, as a like, top-end guy. You can see it. Exactly. Like, I'm not expecting to make that that jump. You know what I mean? That's really hard to do. But at least that's why they trade up for it because they're saying with his physical attributes and pair that with Kyle Shanahan with his weapons, we could see something really special. With Brock Purdy, you're probably just getting a better version of Jimmy G. And it's important to note that Brock Purdy, S2 cognition test, is amazing. Elite. 99 percentile on S2 Not cognition test. He's an all-knower. Mr. Relevant. Well, you want, you, want to know, you want to know who else did good on it? Mr. Zach Wilson, 84 score. Okay. For, you know, was Zach was did his so, thing. So it's not perfect. That was a flop. So, so, that's, a flop. That's, so that means Zach Wilson, he got the mindset. You know, he got the brains. He got the talent. You better respect that. He was that, that voluntary uh, workout this week. By the way, you mentioned Zach Wilson. Ray showed your ass the other day talking about Zach Wilson. Don't you know, ever, don't it's ever funny, do that it's again. Funny. You, I was talking to Doug about this. You ratioed us because you mentioned our backup quarterback. It's <laughs> but, not even um, our starter. I'm so confident in Brock Purdy that I decided to actually get into more, put stock on him. I, I, I withdrew my money. 
after he got injured, I decided to take my winnings. Uh, decided to invest on Jordan Love. I've seen return. Decided to, to invest a little bit more on Tua once he they, they picked up his fifth-year option. So my return there. But then I heard these Trey Lance rumors of potentially being traded. All the money in my my account put into to Brock Purdy. I'm ready. But hearing the news that he might not play all season, I don't love. Take it out. However, when he does, yeah, for real. That's how I'm feeling. Uh, but when he does, that price is going to go up because $8 for a potential franchise quarterback. Potential. You can't beat. Listen, you guys should have listened to me because on Mojo, when it comes to finding them underrated gems, I'm one of those guys. Zay Flowers underrated. He's went up like 24% in the draft process. Mm. And some you people are. Pers- a lot of hype. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Listen, the, if he goes to the Chiefs, he's going for a uh, thousand as a rookie. Yeah. But I the think thing is, they'll, they'll have to move to go, up. Yeah. Facts. There's not lasting until 32. But I, they're I think saying three, four quarter uh, wide receivers go. Because of the talk of him. Be, maybe being the first wide receiver taken, his stock has went up a lot on Mojo. And Roshan Johnson, his stock continues to go up on Mojo. And another quarterback, because on Mojo you can invest into college quarterbacks, Shadur Sanders, Deion Sanders' son, Colorado quarterback. I think he's going to be very good. People are knocking him because of the numbers he put up at an HBCU, and they don't think he's going to translate. I think Sanders is going to be a phenomenal quarterback, and we're probably going to be talking about him in a year or two in this draft process as – one of those top end guys. Hmm. So right now his share price is like three dollars. So if you can get him at three dollars and the top prospect now is at 20, 20, 20 to thirty, that's a that's a big time return. I think he's that good. I, and Deion Sanders turned around Jackson State football. I think he could turn around Colorado too, and they I could be a that. very good team. One Never player when I get in on Caleb Williams too. Yeah, for I, sure. That would be a great investment. One athlete I'm sure is Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know if you guys saw, but. After posting 11 points in a 5 of 15 shooting performance in game one, tonight he went 3 of 12 from the field for 10 points. Aaron Gordon's <laughs> a great matchup for Cat. We're at a point with Towns where this is year eight for him, and the playoffs, he's just gotten worse and worse. And with these injuries, Minnesota, they may have to move both of these bigs because I just don't mm. know if Cat can work in the playoffs with him. Like, you know what the future of this team is. And it, it honestly feels a lot like Kemba Walker at the Celtics, where you knew you had to give up the keys sooner rather than later, let those growing pains develop for Jason and Jalen. If Carl Anthony Towns, he's a skilled player that has trade value, why would you let that waste as he goes deeper into his 20s? I mean, they're giving him a $200 million contract now, though he has never performed in the playoffs and can't defend. And, like, he's also hurt every other year, missing half the season. Listen, John, uh, I agree. Bad stuff. The I'm sooner... a huge Cat fan. I love Cat, by the way. Massive this, cat. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure the the, <laughs> the sooner sixth grade, the sooner the Timberwolves build around Ant and Jaden McDaniels, the better they're going to be. Jaden McDaniels is going to be that star player. And by the way, Dells, I saw you try to disrespect me on Twitter. I might have sent you, <laughs> I might have sent you clips from 2020 of me talking about Jamal Murray. All right, enough, <laughs> enough. Stop. All right, you just you've been the biggest Wolves ever. guy all year, and they lose, and you put up a Jamal Murray because like, Jamal Murray's my guy. I've been, a, I, I've supported the Nuggets all year long. I said it was making the finals. Dude, you're so gross. You said Come the Wolves should be the one seed. I said that. Come on, you can't use a off-season <laughs> prediction on me. You were always so high on them. I said you know? Denver is going to make the finals easily. A top five player, and it's no player? debate. No top, top five point guard, oh, and it's no debate. You're welcome. 
Jamal Murray. No! He's for sure. He's in for sure. Yeah, your burner a- works. Your burner works hard. I sent him. He works he- overtime. Oh, you need help, Joel. You and your you and your burner working together yeah, is yeah. nasty. It's, done. It's your literal done. burner. And it's, the, it's the and dream the team. It's the dream and team. The You're now done. listen, You're like before, we, before we get off. Oh, so you guys... co-signed that MLB The Show tweet? No, You're no, done with not. me. Of course not. You're done. done. Of course Just not. Kidding. Just I only, kidding. I only advocate for pro-Joel propaganda. That's all I do. So now listen. Make sure you guys like up this stream. Make sure you guys subscribe because... According to the number, 70% of you guys are not subscribed. So make sure you guys subscribe. And by the way, Boom Fantasy tonight, I had Ant-Man over 23 and a half points. He hit that. Drew had LeBron over eight and a half rebounds. He hit that. Riv had Anderson over five rebounds. He hit that. We went three for three today. First time it, it might have happened in history. Wait, we didn't lock up the last like one time? other time. Maybe. I know I hit my time. I hit my Andrew Wiggins PRA 19 and a half. What did you have last time? Now you guys are you were one to know the other the other two guys were. Old. Yeah, I, John, oh, you losers, dude. He's yeah. underage. That minor. Oh, uh, right. Yes, we John. So make sure yeah. you guys download Boom Fantasy. Help out the podcast. Code PAS. Link is in the description. Reminder: We are on the franchise tag. We need these signups. Make sure you guys sign up to Boom Fantasy and gamble responsibly. Number one, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Pickaside Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time. Hey, this is Elliot Smith from the Arsenal Vision Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now they're raising another round on the platform WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdsourcing service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest as little as $100, and in other words, that means you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in a cool company on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their team, improve operations, and that will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash BlueWire.